This episode brought to you by the following patrons. Cody, Boezy, Jeremy, Allie, Shining Donut, Nathan, Jennifer with a PH, Libby, Wes, Dreskel, Kaylee, Aaron, Danielle, the number Jeff, Amy, Tia, Matthew, Dave, Jonathan, Scott, Kate, Isaac, and Karun. And all the patrons want you to know you're loved, you're listened to, and you're a valuable member of this awesome Horror Virgin community. And if you want to hang out with us, do so in the Facebook group and or Discord servers where we hang out daily. One time, the hills behind my store when I worked for Sir Latab caught on fire. And I had to call the district manager because it's California and we have a fire season and be like, hey, uh, the hills behind us are on fire. Just to let you know, we may have to close if they get closer. And he was like, oh, no, what if they burned the store down? And before I could stop myself, I said, we could only hope. <laughs> and he just went, yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about hotels. How do you feel about those little soaps? It's such a tiny bar of soap. They fit right in my butt crack. You're not supposed to put the soap in your butt crack. That's I don't so know. Weird. I'm just glad to know he washes his ass. Paige, you don't wash your butt. That's disgusting. I do. You're not supposed to put the actual soap in your butt crack. You just slide it like a credit card and your butt's clean. No! Oh my god, there's so much wrong with that. I'm very concerned. This started off with me being concerned about Paige not washing her ass, and now I'm very concerned about how Mikey thinks he's washing his ass. I wash my ass. That's not up for debate. Here's how much I'm committed to ass washing. I have wipes that I take with me in the airport, so if I just feel a little sweaty throughout the day, I have a way to, like, wash my ass before I can wash my ass again. Hello? Uh, ma'am, this is a Wendy's? <laughs> oh yeah, I'll take a strawberry walnut salad and some spicy nugs. Thank you. I like when we're joking about stuff. Like I, you know, I'm just like making stuff up, and then Paige comes at me with something like very detailed and real. Where I'm like, I don't know how to react to this. Um, you should get yourself some wipes. That's how you should react to it. Welcome to Horror Virgin. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey, and I'm your Horror Virgin Todd. Which means I don't like scary movies, but you guys make me watch them. And this week, Paige, I guess, used wipes and also made us watch 1408. I got junk in the trunk. You got to make sure it stays clean. Listen, I appreciate your dedication to your hygiene. Thank you. So was this the first time either of you had seen this movie before? God, no. Although I'd okay. only ever seen it on TV before now. Oh, really? I wish you were as cool as I was who saw it in theaters opening weekend. Oh, shit. Uh, I think I've seen all alternate endings, though. Yeah, so my problem is, I know that there's a bunch of alternate endings to this, yeah. and I was like, what was the ending in the movies? Is this different? And I was like, I don't care. It, this is different. The one we watched last night via Amazon. Did we all watch Amazon? No. Yeah. I watched it on Tubi. Okay. So you might have had a different ending than we did. The one that we watched, I watched on Amazon was different than I had seen previously, I, but I knew it existed. Paige, I'm pretty sure the one that we watched was the theatrical, because it had a happy ending in the theater. It does, but it's not the theatrical one, because I actually have notes on what the theatrical one is because i remember him getting out and like being okay okay see i had only ever seen it when he where he got out and then it was all of a sudden back in and could never get out but then there's a third alternate ending where he gets out but she can't hear the voice on the recorder yeah so the one i saw on tubi was he gets out and they both hear the voice on the recorder. Yeah, okay, so okay. So that, that must be the theatrical that must be the theatrical one. It's not the theatrical one, because I have notes on what the theatrical one was, and the one that's on the DVD is also not the one we just saw. Interesting. So yeah, I was very surprised to see that ending. And it's based off a Stephen King book, right? Short story. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so there are multiple endings for the film version. One has him fading from room 1408 following Kate. That is technically the theatrical release. It was the one that was on the DVD and most digital versions, depending on when you saw the movie. So just him following Kate out of the hotel? Yes, okay. and that's the end of the movie. In another alternate ending, he's rescued, reconnects with Lily, and captures the conversation on his recorder. And in one version, Lily can hear it, and in another, she cannot. So those are the three endings. Okay. So there's one where they're just walking out of the hotel together, and then there are two endings where it's virtually the same, except her reaction shots are that she can't hear it or she can hear it. Okay. Right. All right. right, right. Cool. I definitely saw the one where she could hear it. Like, you can see it in her face, you know? I kind of like that ending, too, where, like, the wife's like, oh, he's not lying to me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess. It's the least nihilistic of the endings. Well, and you know, horror movies never have nihilistic endings where they're stuck in the room the whole time. Right, <laughs> yeah, right, I know. right. And I honestly prefer, vastly prefer movies that don't have nihilistic endings. I do too. So yeah. I was grateful that this didn't have one because it does sort of, I don't know, it feels like it's going to be nihilistic the whole movie, you know? The main one, the one that was like on the DVD supposedly according to the internet uh is pretty nihilistic and that's the one i always remembered seeing to be honest with you but then like i hate that trope you know or like yeah oh, they made it out and then like oh there's no he's not out credits and you're like well yeah and that's what i kind of remember i'm like you know 400 movies have done this can we like can we try a new thing which this movie sort of does if you look at the ending that we saw, I guess we all saw the same right. ending, right? Because we, all... we all saw the same one. Okay. And and I think that one serves the metaphor if you want it to be a metaphor about him coping with the grief of losing his child. Well, and yeah. coping with it with his wife now instead of just like, quote unquote, yes. going to get cigarettes and never coming back, right? Yes. He just says, I have to poop. And then he leaves. <laughs> yeah. I got to go to the lobby to take a dump. It puts into perspective... <laughs> Why he always has cigarettes but doesn't smoke. Well, I mean, they show why he always has cigarettes and doesn't smoke. It's a plot point in the movie. He tells Samuel L. Jackson about it. They set it up, and at the end of the movie, he's smoking. Like, we know that. That's what he says, but then... The, signif- the cigarettes become significant in his choice to leave and not deal with his grief. That's all very serious. But if this was in modern times, he'd be a BuzzFeed writer. And if you watch the movie Holy with that lens, shit. it's hilarious. Mikey, no joke. My first note on this movie is this movie, if it was shot today, he would be a poor listicle writer for BuzzFeed. Yeah, because by the, by the way, BuzzFeed writers don't make shit i know that's why i said poor they make fucking nothing (laughs) a bunch of them are homeless how would you like a modern remake where he's like daughter's death he was married he he did write a successful novel but like has to do this for like money to get by and then he's just like phone with his boss who's like after this haunted hotel thing i want you to do like 10 most embarrassing royal couple moments and he's like fuck (laughs) like the whole film that's happening and then it's funny yeah. Which muffin top is your muffin top and what zodiac sign are you? <laughs> now I want to know yeah. what the top 10 haunted hotels are, according to BuzzFeed. <laughs> I do love that John Cusack throughout the beginning of this movie is like, he doesn't believe in it. Like, he's very, very cynical. Like he's, I'm sort of like that on some level. Like I'm very cynical, but the second anything spooky started to happen, I would leave immediately. Like when he gets in that room and like the, the radio turns on and he doesn't like freak out. He's just like, oh, someone snuck in here and put chocolates on the pillow. I'd be like, fuck, get me into the room. I'm never coming back to this hotel like i would never stay oh see i would have made it to the meeting with samuel L. jackson where he's like here's the book with all the information you don't have to stay i'd be like 
perfect. Oh, same. Thank you yeah. for thank yeah. you for this research. Absolutely. I'm just gonna go sleep at a place that's not haunted. Yeah. Um, BuzzFeed 22 creepy hotels that probably have ghosts. <laughs> okay, we don't know if they're actually haunted, but looking at them, you can tell me you doubt it. Any guesses to what number one is? Uh, it should be an obvious one. The one in L.A. where that girl. No, that's probably number two. Hold on, uh, let me see if that's number two. That's not number two or three. What? What's this list do? Oh, number four. It's number four. Okay. okay. What is the most haunted hotel? It's the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, that The Shining is based on. I was going to oh! say The Shining Hotel, but I, I was like, is that a real hotel? That's I don't want to see that. That was also my, my <laughs> yeah, thought. And it's because a ton of fucking ton of people died there. Uh, specifically, it was one of the first hotels uh, to have gas lighting because it was built before electricity was normalized. And there was actually a huge gas explosion in one of the wings that killed a number of people that worked there. But then they called them and they were like, actually, it's all OK. Yeah, I was joking. Calm down. Can't you take a joke about a fire? <laughs> I like meta gaslighting jokes. Yeah, meta gaslighting <laughs> jokes where people actually died are my favorite, Mikey. Whatever. <laughs> There's like seven billion people. We could lose 20 more. <laughs> For a gaslighting joke? Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, number two is Loftus Hall in Hookhead, Ireland. With the Hookhead Island. <laughs> Hookhead Island? Uh, it's supposed to be haunted by the devil. The actual devil? <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> devil. The full-on devil. If you go to the lobby, the devil might be there smoking a cigarette and be like... <laughs> hey, devil, what's cool to go around here? Visit the cave. Here's a pamphlet. <laughs> Give me your soul. <laughs> There's always a cave. Um, but it's it's also haunted by the ghost of a woman named Anne Tottenham who was confined there until her death. And then after she died, they found the skeletal remains of an infant in her room. Wait, her room or womb? Room. Okay, uh. just making sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I learned is that the devil really isn't there, but her ex-husband really hated her. So we trapped her in that hotel and said, don't go in there. She's the devil. She's the devil. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know, man. As ghosts go, like she's the most like that's the most gender equality hotel. Like that random woman is on the same level as the literal Satan. That is true. <laughs> Any guesses as to number three? Because it's also one that's pretty obvious. Absolutely not. The Biltmore? No, although the Biltmore is probably on here. Uh, it's the Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast in Fall River, Massachusetts. Oh, she killed some people with an axe. Well, or she didn't. If you listen to the last podcast on the left episode. Yeah, I did listen to that one. It was very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number four is the Hotel Cecil. Oh, but okay. I mean, that's been proven that like she did die, but it was like because of a psychotic break. Well, yes, but she would have been number 80 something at that. That hotel has had so many people yeah. die. Richard Ramirez lived there for a while. Uh, they think Manson's stayed there at one point so many people have died there under confusing circumstances but also i'm not a big believer in that stuff i mean i'm a christian and, and i believe in god and stuff but i've never been more of like evil like truly exists like a big question i get is like have you ever seen somebody possessed and i'm like no because that's not a thing i mean they might appear possessed because of a psychotic break or a schizophrenic break or whatever I i've heard plenty of people like speak in languages that aren't real or like make up latin or like say they're possessed or like talk demons talk through them or whatever but like until you start levitating and telling me the sins of my past, I'm not there yet. That's my bar. So in order for you to believe it, it's going to have to be like a friend of yours that does it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because, Mikey, I could do that. In the exorcism, they go and they're like, Father so-and-so, you did this, this, and this. And I'd be like, oh, shit. Like, maybe this is, uh, I did do those things. Yeah. I looked up, like, which hotels inspired the story behind this movie. And obviously, Hotel Cecil and the Stanley uh, but also Hotel Del Coronado in San Diego, which I've also been to. I've been there a lot. Yeah, I was going to say, I wasn't sure wasn't sure if you'd been there, Todd, but that's number 18 on this BuzzFeed list. Yeah, I, I honestly didn't know it was haunted because it's not something they, like, flaunt. And also because it's not haunted, like, no hotel is haunted. I mean, uh, here's what I'll say about hotels. A lot of people die at hotels no matter what. Yeah. Like, even a, ho- even a, a good, normal hotel... Just the pure volume of people that are there, people die at times they don't expect. And you also know what happens at hotels? Drugs. And a lot of people die of overdoses in hotels. But even just like a heart attack or like somebody dies in their sleep, like it happens super often, just like in general. And so I think maybe subconsciously we do all know that. And that's why hotels are creepy because you're just like, oh, that's right. There's a ton of other people here. And life is outside of our control. And some people may have died here uh, where I'm sitting or at least a few feet away. Personally, I love hotels because the sheets are clean and I can walk around naked and use fancy soaps. To slide them right through your butt cracks. I don't slide. (laughs) So give me some first thoughts on the movie. Here's what's interesting. Seeing it on TV, I don't think I missed much. Like watching it through tonight, I was like, yeah, I think I've seen almost all of this. I mean, it's rated PG-13, so I'd imagine the majority of it they can play on TV. It is just like Mm -hmm. sad. Like a lot of it's sad and scary. It's not bad. Like it's not, they don't cuss a lot. It's not like that. It's not super scary. I mean, there are some jump scary moments, but it scared me. I think it's got a bit of a pacing problem. Yeah. I mean, it's more of like a psychological, like you're trapped in a room. It's like an escape room. Yeah. It's just, I feel like after a while, it feels like they kind of start running out of things to do and they're kind of doing the same things over again a little bit. And then at one point in the movie, he thinks that throughout that hour, he has experienced all the levels of hell, which for a second, I was like, is that what this was? Like, I didn't track that at all. Me either. But then it actually turns out, I'll I'll burn a fun fact, he's supposed to be experiencing the five stages of grief. Ah, that makes Uh, more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. Where, you know, like, you know, anger, bargaining, whatever. And so that I think is a little more clear. And if you watch it through that lens, you can kind of track it that way. I think what throws me off time wise is him getting out and then coming back that kind of like. It's a weird emotional shift yes. in the movie. Yes. And I don't love that. I think it, it doesn't necessarily serve it great. And I know why they do it. They do it to reinforce this, like, the room is inescapable, basically. But in the end, it's not. And so it's it's a little odd. And I think they do it to also show that he does want to get back with his wife and, like, yes. start to have that conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, like, I also think it... I think I'm with you. It kind of messes up the pacing a bit where it could have just been more intense room stuff because yeah. it didn't need to be that long of a diversion. He could have had, he could have like woken up in the hospital and then been like, no, you're in the room. And like his hospital room is 1408 or something. And that would have been funny. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, when he first gets out of the room and you're like, oh, is this all like a dream when he was in the hospital in LA from that surfing accident? I was like, oh, that is dumb. 
I hate this ending. Oh, if it was like a full Jacob's Ladder scenario? Yeah, I was so mad when that happened in the movie because I was like, man, fuck them if that's how they're going to get out of this. And then I was like, man, even the hotel is called The Dolphin. And I was like, fuck, maybe he just saw a dolphin while he was getting knocked out or whatever and he just like manifested that. And then when they reveal like he's still in the room when he goes into the post office, I was like, okay, that was kind of a cool reveal. I understand what you're saying about the pacing stuff because it does sort of fuck with the pacing of it. But I thought that the reveal of him still being being in the room was cool. I think they just spend a little too long. Yeah, it's like 15 minutes, Paige. I thought the movie was like ending and there's like 30 minutes left. Yeah, it's, there's like 30 minutes of the movie left, but this movie is almost two hours long. Yeah. So at that 30, at that like 15 minutes left mark, you're like, okay, I'm right around like 90 minutes. Like maybe this is the end of the movie. Uh, yeah. Which to be honest, like if you wanted this to be a worse movie, you could end it there. Oh, that's how this would be made if it was made in 2010. Do you mean three years after this movie was made, Mikey? This came out in 2017. Oh, I thought it came out in like 2002. No. But I mean, like, that is the stereotypical, like, horror movie ending. Like, he's still in the room. Credits. And I'm glad it didn't end there. Like, I, I do sort of like the way this movie ends. Speaking metaphorically, I like it, right? So he reconnects with his wife, and they, like are processing that shared trauma of losing Katie together. And I'm mm. on board for that. I like how the movie sort of ends with that, that message. The, the movie I thought was scary. I know Mikey, you didn't think it was scary. It scared me. I, I think this is a little scary, okay. but I think it's because it does a really good job building dread. Yeah. yeah. You spend conservatively an hour of this movie knowing bad things will happen and trying to figure out what the next bad thing is and so even small things become scarier because you're like oh oh, oh what is it oh his hand is bloody okay oh no like what is, <laughs> who's that ghost like you're just kind of like ah it puts you on edge, yeah. I would say. I also watched this at night in the dark. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's. I watched some of it last night and then I paused and then came back this morning. But like the scariest parts for me are when he's like, I am a rational adult. Let me hang half of my body off of a 14th floor window. Oh, man. That doesn't exist. I don't know. Like, I sort of have trouble with movies that, like, the narrator of the movie is unreliable because. Like, we saw people jump out that window. It is in the lore of that room that people have jumped out that window. And then the window not being there pissed me off because the only part of the movie that is established as having a reliable narrator, like before he enters the room, it is established that people jumped out that window. Well, they still do because he he comes back and there's one window. The window, the only time the window is gone is when he... I think it's once it bricks him in, which is after he climbs yeah. back in. Yeah. And it's only temporary because the windows do come back. Honestly, yeah. I thought the room was the best character. Great sense of humor. Knew what it was doing. Was good at it. You know, I liked I liked when it talked to him. It like, really Man. went for it. I mean, and listen, it, it got wet at the right times. Like it was <laughs> honestly <laughs> doing <laughs> it right for sure. I don't know. I think the the room is kind of tricky. I don't like when Lisa cheats on Johnny, even though clearly Mark is a hotter <laughs> guy. Uh, and and I I mean I'm really confused with the whole like Chris R narrative. I honestly really so hope fun. no one gets that joke because no one should have to watch that movie. But <laughs> it is a hilariously bad it. movie. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a rom-com. I mean, I think we should do it at some point. I mean, the room makes it, like, because at first you're kind of confused, like, why don't the room just kill him or whatever? And then the room's, like, talking to him. He's like, 
hi, this is your friendly room. I want you to die by suicide. And I'm not yeah. going to push you there, but I want you to choose because, like, that's my king. Yeah, so this was yeah. the same metaphor for me as <laughs> – I'm sorry. I just realized that you said the word kink in reference to a room wanting you to kill itself, and that's a very <laughs> no, interesting no, no. kink. It was, it was the room's kink. The room wants to watch. The room's an exhibitionist? Like, yes. Well, some evil has different, like, kinks, you know? Like, some evil rooms want to kill people. Some evil rooms want to, like, drive people, quote, unquote, mad. Some evil rooms want you to die by suicide. Some evil rooms just want to be choked slightly while they finish. Like, yeah. I get Who it. Who am I to evil room kink shame? <laughs> I honestly, like, getting back to the metaphor of it, I thought that it was a similar metaphor to his house. Yeah. Where your trauma can't actually hurt you. It's you that has to hurt you you because of your trauma and so i dug that aspect of this movie as well like i dug it in his house but i still didn't i mean the movie is hard still hard to watch for me yeah i'm with you i'm kind of like after this month of movies i'm kind of starting to think that haunted house movies are like really about like it's all about trauma man like Every yeah. movie except for the bag of shit that Poltergeist 2 was, every movie we did this month was like trauma process city, and I couldn't stand it. Oh, you don't think that Poltergeist 2 is about them processing their joint alcoholism? Because I think it might be. <laughs> I think we're honestly watching a group of people live out their rock bottom, but are not addressing their trauma yet in Poltergeist 2. And do you think in Poltergeist 3 they're going to live out their verse instead of <laughs> bottoming <laughs> because tom scarrett's in it i assume poltergeist 3 is just about a power top i mean <laughs> it's entirely possible we'll have to wait to find out uh so do you guys want to get into the movie so we can talk about it scene by scene sure. yes all right we open on a dark rainy road as a car drives along it while the credits play so we don't have to sit through boring credits so grateful every time we don't have to sit through boring ass credits i'm so grateful yeah but essentially it's john cusack who arrives at the Weeping Beach Inn. Uh, he goes inside and the people at the front desk immediately launch into like, oh, thank God, we were afraid you weren't going to show. Let's tell you about all the ghosts that are here because this person killed themselves and then a bunch of kids died in the attic, like this whole thing. And he's like, just give me the key. Just please give me the keys. Like, I just want to go upstairs. Yeah. And he goes upstairs. It's kind of a boring room. He walks around talking into his, into his recorder and drinking from the mini bar. And I do sort of love that it establishes John Cusack's character as like not caring at all. Yeah about what he's writing about like i mean i guess he cares about it but not believing in it at all you know he is a buzzfeed writer we've established yeah this. yeah we've established this. he is so bored with his subject matter because i would be too like if i was forced to face my fear of these haunted like places and then nothing ever happened it was just like you know the purveyors of the establishments telling these interesting stories to get people to visit them which he sort of alludes to when he's like it's interesting how many of these haunted houses are pop up when the interstate moves yeah yeah so like I, yeah. I really did sort of like that and he is just so cynical about it to the point of doesn't believe it and i get that because nothing ever happens at these places so i really like that it just establishes him as this like washed up writer who hates his life i also think this establishes something that comes into play later that he doesn't sleep much at all oh i mean that's fair but i mean i also understand he lost his daughter a little over a year ago so like He's got a lot going on. Yeah, but I think that's it's important to note because it will come up later. 
He does not sleep. And lack of sleep can do weird shit to you. Yeah, sure. I mean, but so can being drugged by a... uh, He's not. I don't think he's drugged. Oh, I mean, me either. I honestly do feel like what is happening in the room is happening to him. Yes. But it's not happening everywhere else. Like, the second he enters the room, he's, like, entering, like, a different space altogether. Yeah, different dimension. Yeah. Yeah. That dimension is called LSD. I don't think he's drugged. I I think it is... Uh, an alternate dimension perhaps oh i don't i mean i don't necessarily think he's drugged either page because at the end he has like legit wounds you yes know, he's exactly in the hospital. Yeah. evidence that yeah that I recording mean, does make it yeah yeah so like I, I i completely agree i just i always think back to like cults and stuff and they're like oh my yes. god i saw like this fish talk to me or whatever and i knew it told me that you know deepak chopra was the god or whatever whoever you know like so and, and that's always because they've given you tea with lsd in it and didn't tell you they drugged you like that sort of shit does happen at these like types yeah. of places anyway th- that's why i thought that initially yeah but yeah. at the end of the movie it clearly tells you he was not just drugged no we cut to the next day he's leaving that hotel and he's recording his review and is like i'll give him six skulls screw him five, five skulls. yeah we cut to a bookstore where he's there for a book signing because he has just finished his haunted hotels book which i thought was interesting that like he has a haunted hotels book already but he's still visiting hotels so i don't know if he's doing a sequel or what Yeah, i thought he was just doing a follow-up although i, I mean i don't know but that's why i assumed I right know. look buzzfeed needs those articles yeah. right now stat we need 10 new haunted hotels immediately he also had books on other haunted spaces right it was like then it was always 10 haunted mansions haunted mansions yeah, stuff haunted, like that yeah um now, he is also wearing a shirt, uh, a hat that says paranoia is total awareness, which I think is very fun. Yeah. He goes to introduce himself to the bookstore owner for the book signing and they don't recognize him. I do love that he like shows himself the picture on the flyer. He's like, yeah, I'm this guy. And he's like, oh, yeah, cool, 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 cool. And then he just gets on like the speaker in a bookstore and is like, uh, the author for BuzzFeed's 10 Haunted Hotels is here if you'd like to uh, hang out with him. Oh, my God. He's my favorite BuzzFeed author. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have had an experience where I showed up to a stand-up show and someone was being a standoffish dick and then saw that my face was on the poster and was like, oh, that's you. And I'm like, yeah, dipshit. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> So I empathized. Yeah. But I mean, I do love it when it cuts to like the audience gathered for his whatever yeah, like book signing. People. Yeah, it's like four people. I love that. I was like, oh, I've, I've been there, man. Like our first live shows with Horror Virgin. I was like, oh, look, the cult podcast is here. What up? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> there were a few people there for that. But I mean, like maybe six total. Anyway. <laughs> So I do like that somebody asked him, like, what's the scariest place? And he's like, I've never heard that before. What an original question. <laughs> what an original question. <laughs> this is why I don't ask questions at these things, because I, I always think of stuff and I'm like, I bet they've been asked that a million times. I probably have. Yeah. Anyway, he, he answers all their questions, signs all their books. He makes up answers, I think, where they're like, what? What's the scariest? He's like, oh, this one place. Totally thick with it. Where he's just like, I don't give a shit. Like, go wherever. I don't care. Well, I I do love when the bookstore owner comes up to him and has him sign something. He's like, I really want to see like a ghost. Where would I go? And he goes, Haunted Mansion, Orlando. Orlando. (laughs) Which is like at Disney World. Like, I thought that was hilarious. That ride is so good. It is. I mean, for a ride that was made like firmly in the 60s, it's solid. They've updated it. I mean, it is essentially the same ride as it was in the 60s. 
but it, I still like it, Mikey. I mean, when you get in the elevator and it's the floor starts to lower and it stretches the room, mm-hmm. like it is a cool effect. But it was made in like 1962. Well, the one in Disneyland, I think, was in 1962. Florida must be later than that. Oh, I'm sure that that's true. Yeah. Yeah, Disney World didn't open until 1971. I think they updated them when the Eddie Murphy movie came out, and I think they've updated them again. They've changed some stuff. From Halloween through Christmas, it's the Nightmare Before Christmas, as opposed to regular Haunted Mansion. See, Todd. But it's only temporary. Then they take it away. Yeah, they do it every year, Mikey. It's yeah. That's what I last went to Disneyland was for that. And it actually opened to all guests on August 12th, 1969. Nice. nice. Yeah. <laughs> do you know when Walt Disney died? He's not dead. His head is preserved in the basement of Disneyland. Yeah, he died December 15th, 1966. Allegedly. He still haunts that haunted mansion that was built, I don't know, four years after he died or so? Yeah, he's in the corner just like, pretzels are $15. <laughs> Parking is $40. I wish I wish I had a ghost or something. I, I miss having a roommate sometimes, but like not one that like would create a real mess, but like someone to talk to. Mikey, you are so lonely. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it would sit and float and, like, watch movies with me and, like, listen to my commentary and then, like, also offer some of their commentary. But, like, it doesn't eat, so it never leaves dirty dishes in the sink because it's a ghost. Nice. But the walls in its room keep bleeding, so, like. Yeah. Ugh. We'll just paint them red. Honestly, it's a nice little life hack you got there, Mikey. <laughs> it is until the until it dries and the room starts to smell like high tide. I got Yankee candles. We'll be fine. <laughs> Yankee candle scent, high tide. <laughs> high tide. <laughs> Don't, my guest bedroom is red. It smells like blood. Uh, it's a feature. Yeah, yeah <laughs> It's yeah, not yeah. a bug. It's a feature. Mm-hmm. I, I got new candles from the place that makes my fancy soaps, and they are very nice but it's not a high tide scent i would imagine if yankee candle got desperate enough to do high tide things are dire (laughs) i got it from the goop store oh that i could (laughs) see yeah (laughs) (laughs) high tide and it just smells like citrus and you're like gwyneth you crazy (laughs) anyway he has like a little sign off that says stay scared and then he finally gets to the last person at the signing and she wants him to sign his first novel that it seems like he actually spent time on and worked on and he's kind of taken aback by it i think he feels a little vulnerable with that one. well yeah i think it's very much about the relationship between him and his dad mm-hmm. and uh which we don't really get a whole lot of information on we get some but not a whole lot and he openly lies to her about it not being about that and like yeah it's very clear he's like happy that she enjoyed the novel because I feel like that's what he put his most effort into, but mm-hmm. also doesn't at all want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, not at all. So we cut to he goes surfing in Hermosa Beach and right. gets hit on the head with his own surfboard because he's not paying attention. A wave kind of washes him over and he wakes up on the beach coughing up water. Um which he's very lucky because usually you get swept back out if that happens to you. But the funny part was it was pretty much a crowded beach. So, I mean, like lots of people would have saw him die or they wouldn't have. That's that's the thing. It's like unless you stick close to people, the undertow can be really, really bad. So he would have probably been too far out before they realized what was happening. Potentially. I mean, yeah, he probably would have died and then washed up uh, like somewhere miles away because the undertow would have taken him out and then thrown him s- somewhere completely different. Yeah. I don't know. Have either of you two surfed? Uh, no, I live on the East Coast. I have attempted to. I wouldn't call what I did that day surfing so much, but <laughs> I mean, I guess yes, but okay. also very much no. 
Got it. Yeah. Cool. It's like a whole body workout. It's exhausting. Oh, yeah. It's way more core than you're expecting. I'll just leave it there. Like that's, Yeah, it's so much core. It's, it's so, so much, much arms and balance and your back and all of it. Like, I will never forget the first time I went surfing and they were like, all right, we're going to go out for like an hour. And I was like, only an hour? And then at like 45 minutes, I was like, I want to go back to the beach. Yeah, like, like, I hate I'm this. so tired. Yeah, this sucks. And then when you know that that's what you're in for, the next time it's it's not as bad. Yeah. So we cut to him at the post office. He picks up his mail and talks to the like guy working the post office who's like, oh, I read your last book. Scary shit, man. It's cool. And we find out that his mail is literally all pamphlets from hotels trying to get him to go stay at their hotel yeah because bookings go up 15 50 percent or whatever yeah because it's going to get them noticed or whatever yeah right uh he's got a birthday card that he's ignored and then he's got a postcard that just says from the dolphin hotel don't enter 1408 yeah and then he writes at the bottom equals 13 and circles it because if you add yeah one, one plus, plus four, four plus zero plus, plus zero eight, plus eight yeah it's 14 it's 13. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 14 if you're in a hotel because they just don't acknowledge that 13th yeah, exactly. floor exists. Yeah. Right. Yep. Uh, so he, his interest is piqued. He calls yeah. the hotel and is like, yeah, I want to stay in 1408. And they're like, it's unavailable. And he's like, I didn't tell you what date. And they're like, it's unavailable. Yeah. Next Tuesday, unavailable. Next month, next summer. And the phone eventually just hangs up. I've had that conversation many times when asking for a second date. Next Tuesday? No. Next month? Definitely not. Next summer? Absolutely not. And then they just <laughs> hang up on you? Yeah. So he does a bunch of research. He goes through the microfiche at the library. Which I thought that this was way too late in the like timeline of the world for there the, to be a microfiche. The microfiche world, yeah. Uh, like, I guess that's why I thought it was like 2002, two, like early, late 90s kind of deal. I was in college when this came out and our college library still had a microfiche section. Really? Yes. Okay. But specifically for very, very old newsprint. Like that was the whole reason that you would use it is just old newsprint that had not been digitized yet. Sure. But they were in the process of digitizing. But it wasn't there yet. Okay. Exactly. All right. Because remember, this movie takes place at a time when YouTube is just barely new. Yeah, I mean, yes, but that is also like years and years after computers were a thing and people were digitizing records and like i, I understand yeah, but what people you're saying didn't immediately digitize everything because they weren't they still weren't sure if that's what we were going to use the internet for sure 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 and i l listen i get it but like i'm just sure that there aren't many if any microfiche montages and movies that came out after this one that's true <laughs> this is this is probably your last microfiche montage unless it was Takes like a, a period yeah. piece yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. If this if this movie were made six months later, it would be a Google montage. Yeah, it would be like Ask Jeeves or some shit like yeah, that. What was what was the one that had a real terrible? Oh, Twilight. It'd be the Twilight Google montage, which, by the way, was right around the same time. <laughs> yeah, where she's just like, "What are vampires?" Oh yeah. Oh my God. Yes. So he does see a number of newspaper reports about deaths that have taken place at the hotel, and so he. Decides that he's going to go. We cut to his publisher and lawyer's office where he finds out that there's a civil rights law that allows him to stay in that room or to reserve that room, regardless of what the hotel says. If the, ro if the room is open and available, he can have it. 
Now, you're probably wondering, is that true? I was wondering that. I did research it. We can talk about it in fun facts. Nice. Okay, cool. Uh, Short answer is yes, although you don't (laughs) necessarily get to specify which room it is. Like, they they have to rent to you, but they don't necessarily have to give you that specific room, but they would have to provide a reason for why that room was unavailable. And haunting is not a reason for it to be unavailable. No, but they could have been like, the air conditioner is broken, which it yes. was, or it's unsafe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Samuel L. Jackson could walk in there and just take a huge shit on the floor and be like, uh, "Someone shit on the floor in here. We can't. Definitely can't let yeah, you sleep here tonight. We can't let you sleep yeah, here." Sorry, yeah. it's being renovated. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, there are many reasons. Although that makes sense law wise, like you can't refuse service to people. Right. I mean, unless you're like at capacity, like that would also be a good excuse, right? But you can't right. make them rent a certain room to you because that right. would be. Wild. Okay, like say you're a judge and the lawsuit comes on your bench or whatever, and they're like, "We we that room's just unavailable. We we offered them this room that's just like that room," and they're like, "Yeah." The, the one the thing that I found was basically like the crux of the problem is that he would run into is that they did offer to provide him with other rooms, in fact, upgrades, and so any judge would be like, "Just stay in the other room." Like this is it would probably get thrown out, but. Anyway, we'll talk about it in fun. Okay, cool. So the lawyer leaves. He stays on the phone with his publisher and his publisher is like, hey, on a more personal note, are you sure you want to come back to New York? Are you going to talk to your ex-wife while you're here? And he's like, no, I'm just coming here for a job. That's it. Yeah. In and out. I'll be gone after the the stay or the overnight or whatever he says. Right. I really hated that we got Tony Shalhoub for one scene only. One second. I love Tony (laughs) Shalhoub. One of my favorite 30 Rock jokes ever was when Jenna Maroney is like listing her credits and she says, third time Tony Shaloub sex partner. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so good. So wonderful. Yeah. He hit it monk style. Where he just tapped it repeatedly while counting so that the voices went away. I think he just had to sing like those Gregorian chants while he was fucking her. That's what it was. I love that that was sex music in the 90s at one point. Yeah, The, dude. like, techno mix it of the really Gregorian was. chants. It was like, so good. but like a unto, 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 yeah, under yeah. it. Yeah. The, the Tropic Thunder trailer with Robert Downey Jr. Yes. plays it underneath exactly it. Exactly that. Yes, Paige. So funny. <laughs> I've been a bad, bad boy, father. Oh, so funny. <laughs> it's so funny. Anyway. He goes to the Dolphin Hotel and he goes to check in for one night and something comes up on their computer that's like alert manager before checking in. So they introduce him to Samuel L. Jackson, who's the general manager, Mr. Olin. And he again kind of tries to talk him out of staying there. He's like, we're going to upgrade you to the penthouse. He's like, nope, 1408, please. So he pulls him into his office and they kind of talk through what is going on with 1408 and Samuel L. Jackson is like no one's ever lasted more than an hour and I'm genuinely trying to help you I did like that like Samuel L. Jackson is playing it very sincerely which I like a lot yes well and at this point John Cusack is like look I'm gonna stay I'm gonna write about it your bookings go up like yeah you win-win basically absolutely and he records the conversation And Samuel L. Jackson's like, look, maybe you don't understand, but we operate at 90% capacity always. Like, we are a successful hotel. Yeah, like, I don't need your help booking this place. Right. And I'm not telling this to you, for you, or for me, or for the hotel. I don't want you in there because I don't want to clean up the mess. I'm a manager, not a coroner. Yeah. And he's like, 
there have been four deaths in my tenure as manager. And he said, and after the last one, I closed that room. Yeah. Basically. I'm shocked it took four for him to close the room. Well, and he does say that the last one slid his wrists and then removed his own genitals, essentially. And they start to list off like, okay, so there have been seven jumpers, four overdoses, however many mutilations. And he's like, yeah, I know the game. Like, I know how many people there were. And Samuel L. Jackson's like, oh, did you find the 22 natural deaths in the room on top of the weird ones? They don't print anything about them. And he's like, there have been 56 total deaths in that room, which here's the thing. Here's the thing. A hotel that's been around a long time, there's going to be multiple deaths in multiple rooms. That's not unusual. 56 in all in one room. That's unusual. Yeah, I guarantee you someone has died in a hotel room I've stayed at just because I've stayed in a shitload of hotel rooms. Same. I know one has one I've stayed at because I killed them. <laughs> That'll do it. You want to make sure. Okay. All right. Well, Mikey, it was nice having you on the podcast. I hope you enjoy your 20 to life. It was self-defense. Bury them under the pool, but then under that there's a cult, and then under <laughs> that cult was a Raising Cane's chicken. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. What is that you're referencing, Paige? That's the Wicker Man, the like, there was a tree and was a oh, man, yeah. a dick no, and a bed think, and whatever. Yeah, I, I've seen that movie once in my life. So, I, yeah. so Todd and I are not on the same plane. We don't have, share that love for Wicker Man like you do. Todd loved Wicker Man. I loved Wicker Man because it's terrible, but yeah. I didn't rewatch it a thousand times because it's terrible. But listen, I need more horny musicals in my life. Yes. <laughs> That's why we should do Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. On RTP. No. I'm not against that at it's all. It's Dolly Parton, Mikey. I know. But like I watched that movie as a 13-year-old with like way different expectations. <laughs> and it did not do what I wanted it to do for me. That title is a misnomer. You weren't turned on by Dolly's gravity-defying rack in that movie? Or, I mean, honestly, if you're from a different persuasion, just a little, you know, uh, Burt Reynolds for you. Yeah. As Sheriff Dodd, which I only remember because his name is almost my name, except it's a D instead of a T at the beginning. Dodd. Yeah, his last name is four letters, and three of them are D. I wish you could just picture teenage me <laughs> looking, you know, this is before high-speed internet. Oh, y- yeah. I mean, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas came out in, like, the 60s, I think, right? No, no. Oh, it came out in 82. The... Came out in yeah, 82. I'm, just... I, I'm yeah. looking for some material to help me out with my long night, and then I find a musical. And, like, that was... I can only picture, like, because if I remember correctly, the like, the box art for that is, like, Burt Reynolds Just and women in underwear. Yes, it is like women in lingerie and then Burt Reynolds smiling. And you're like, oh, this is definitely going to show some boob. And it is like the most wholesome movie that's rated R anyone's ever seen. That's true. I, I rewatched Terminator last night and uh, there's more boob in that. Oh, man, I love it. Mikey, I just wish I could have seen your face when you're like fully like you're there with like your tissues and your jergens. And then like it gets to the first song and you're like. Oh, I can't jerk it to this. Yeah, like I'm home alone. Parents are out of town. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're like. <laughs> you're just angry and they're just like, nothing dirty going yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, well, there should be something dirty going on. <laughs> I'm like, it's 10 o'clock. Why is this movie on HBO? <laughs> I'm flipping to Skinamax. Anyway, back to this movie. He kind of runs through like some people have heart, heart attacks. Some people have drowned and he's like drowned. And he's like. Yeah, a guy drowned in his soup. And he's like, how do you do that? How do you do that? 
basically. I mean, you have narcolepsy and you pass out into your soup and die because you're breathing in just the liquid of the soup. I guarantee you it's happened. I mean, this is my main worry for Jinx Monsoon. Or... Professor Boriarty strikes again. Exactly. I was thinking the same thing. Uh-huh. I was like, man, Boriarty's going to get you no matter where you go. The soup of the day is regret alone. <laughs> the <laughs> soup of the day is death. <laughs> did you guys see Whitney's Regret Alonely stickers on the Facebook group? I did. They're very cool. I, I want. Holy one. shit! I want the. I want a few so bad. They are so good. I'm waiting for her to post them on her Instagram so I can put it on my story. Oh, they're mm. so so good. Yes. But yeah, like if I was gonna die in any soup, it would definitely not be just regular bitch ass chicken noodle soup. Yeah, what soup would you die in yeah, you if you like were going to die in a soup? Like a, like what a are thin you... soup. For me, it would be a real, real creamy tomato basil soup. Oh, oh. I think thicker would be harder to die I in. I think thicker would be harder. Here's the thing. I like eating tomato soup, but I feel like the acid in the tomatoes would hurt hurt because you're going to breathe it in i feel like if you drown in potato soup it's like just drowning in concrete oh so guys i thought you you were just gonna be asleep so i didn't really like think about like the act of breathing it in and what it would feel like Uh, so yeah you're probably right like trying to breathe in thick ass tomato basil soup would be difficult (laughs) but then maybe that's why i live that would be great i'd be okay with that yeah you don't want to like wake up from a near-death experience and then have to blow broccoli cheddar out your nose (laughs) you gotta think through this shit if i'm already gonna die from soup let's go like real bad like make it the worst story imaginable like just drown me in gestapo gestapo not gestapo but what's that (laughs) gestapo Actually, what's the cold pea soup? No, let no. him keep it's trying. No, Mikey, you're, you're, you got it. You, you'll figure it out. Keep, <laughs> keep saying the word you think it is. Okay. Yeah, uh, keep going. But you are right. It definitely is not Gazpacho. 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 That is right. Yes. Gazpacho is correct. Yes. It's a cold soup. Yes. It is a I cold drowned soup. I in Gazpacho while being murdered by the Gestapo. Exactly. Damn it. You beat me to it. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a contender that no one is thinking of is L. Ron Hubbard's ketchup soup because that's basically just hot water. Oh, gross. Honestly. That you then add ketchup to. You guys didn't ask me my favorite tomato bisque recipe, and it is ketchup and water. Thank you, L. Ron Hubbard. (laughs) That is the worst thing L. Ron Hubbard ever did. Okay. No, (laughs) no, that's not. That's true. I mean, like, out of all the things he contributed to society. Oh, yeah. Like, he wrote so many books. And uh, I can't continue to joke around about how he was like a decent person. He's the worst. No, have y'all read his uh, top 10 most haunted planets? (laughs) 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 That's basically what his whole philosophy is. Uh, I hear his draft of Battlefield Earth was way better than the shooting script. Uh, well, I've I've also heard, though, that it's pretty dense, where it's like Lord of the Rings level, but in space. Yeah, the movie's just the first half of that book. Yeah, which meant that it was, like, almost impossible to film and try and lay out all of this, like, interplanetary whatever. Kind of like Dune. Yeah, it's kind of like Dune, but not good. I unabashedly love the Battlefield Earth movie. What? Mikey, no. Uh, it is a Mikey movie because those people all set out to make a classic science fiction they film. They did. And where they landed is something I love and it's amazing. Yeah. Because I'm like, that's John Travolta right there. Yeah. It might be the last true, but besides uh, Malinger-ing, the Malingering? 
malignant. Yeah, that's it. Oh, Gazpacho. wow. <laughs> Mikey, I honestly think he's having a stroke, Paige. Malingering is the thing that L. Ron Hubbard did in the army. You're welcome. <laughs> that's a, that's a real like, word for what he did. They spent hundreds of millions of dollars on that movie to make they're like, this is it. This is going to change the world. Yeah. So, Mikey, sadly, your figures are a bit off. Uh, it was a 30. Uh, sorry, it was a 73 million dollar budget, but it ended up losing 43 million dollars. I saw it in theaters. No, regrets. <laughs> I was not allowed to see it in theaters because my mom stage snooping on Scientology like even Good. before I had a cult podcast my mom was suspicious of those people yeah you came by it honestly yeah I get that she's just like no but honestly everyone out there should read Dianetics it's got some really good points that you know you should it does not read going <laughs> read going clear I'm not gonna instead. read that I'm not into jazzercise <laughs> I'm not gonna die in a net I mean you could in 1408 because all kinds of deaths happen in the dolphin safe hotel <laughs> It's plant-based. <laughs> okay, seed two. Oh, my God. Fuck, Todd's right. We're never getting done. No, we're firmly going to be recording this episode forever. This episode is our 1408. <laughs> I got out. I was out. No, Paige, we're still recording about 1408. No. Not Battlefield Earth. I just want to talk about Time Cop. Um, we all want to talk about Time Cop, Paige. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I want to talk about Hard Target that we watched last night. But anyway, so uh, he he does take that drink from Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. Uh, it's very fancy brandy. Samuel L. Jackson gives him the bottle. And I think he's hoping that, like, you will take this as a gift and not stay. Oh yeah, it's a firm, it's a firm bribe, right? I mean, like, yes, yeah. I, I, I took it that way too. Did you guys notice that the bottle is from the same year that the hotel owner killed himself out of the window in fourteen oh eight? There is actually more to the label of the bottle than just that. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's the only thing I noticed, but I really like that. I did not. Because I am not a detail-oriented person. I'll, I'll burn a fun fact. Please do. Very, very clever, Paige. Very clever. Very good, <laughs> Mrs. Wesley. Stop pretending to be Samuel L. Jackson the three days he shot on this movie. Also, that's a terrible impression. I don't know why you didn't go with, look at the big brain on Todd, when it was right there. Well, he, was just, he was doing an impression of him from this movie. That's why. Yeah, Paige. So the bottle that he offers Mike is named... Le cinquante sept dices. Dices? Um, de- mm, my French is not great. Which is French for the ocean is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, in French, it literally means the 57 deaths. Okay. And as we've just established in the scene, there were 56. That's a pretty fucking cool liquor name, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, to be honest. But with the gifting of that bottle is assumed that his fate was already written. I think the room sends him that postcard, essentially. <laughs> I do love that he got a piece of mail from a building. Like that to me is funny. Well. Which I know I feel like there was another haunted house movie that we did, and my brain wants to say it's Gone Jam Asylum, but I don't know that it is. It was where it, it like was. it like calls people to it, basically. It says, Hey girl, you up? Hey girl, hey, hey girl, you up? Hey, you wanna come over? Do you got plans tonight? I'm a couple hundred miles from Japan tonight. <laughs> so 
He takes the bottle, but he's still going to stay. And so Samuel L. Jackson, even though he starts kind of talking through some of the victims, one that was a sewing machine salesman who cut his own throat and tried to stitch himself back together. Uh, he also offers to let him photograph 1404 because it has the same layout. And he's like, no, my readers expect truth. And he's like, your readers expect cheap thrills. I have read your books. And the only good one was The Long Road Home, where, like, the father, it was kind of a bastard. And he's like, yeah, he was. Yeah. And this is where he revealed that he lied to that girl. Yes. I would have 1,000% taken the offer of taking photos of 1404 and that file of all the shit that's happened in 1408. And I would have just left. I would have taken all of that and left. Well, that's yeah. why they had to set this before BuzzFeed, because a BuzzFeed writer would have been like, oh, sweet, thanks, I'm out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> the BuzzFeed writers don't go to these locations. They just Google things and then copy and paste from other websites. Either that, or if they are going to the locations, they're like driving and peeing in bottles on the way. Because it's like, that's the level of work expected. It's just like, no sleep, so many articles, immediately. So BuzzFeed is located in New York City, right? That's like where their uh, offices are. There used to be one in LA as well. Oh, did there? I didn't realize that. But their average salary is like mid-50s for writers, which is yes. yeah, so in New York. low living in new york and that's full-time yeah. writing and content production yeah which means that you're working definitely more than 40 hours a week probably closer to 60 and at mid 50s that's bargain basement in new york as far as what you can afford apartment wise at mid 50s you hope you are working 80 hours a week because then you can justify living at the office because you can't afford to live anywhere else mm-hmm. yep <laughs> Sorry, I think the real horror of this movie is how much BuzzFeed pays their writers. It's pretty horrible. Yeah. We've been recording for an hour and 20 minutes, and we haven't even gotten John Cusack in the room yet. Ugh. Nothing happens in the room. Everything happens in the room. Ladies. Ladies. <laughs> Order some turndown service, you know what I'm saying? I left that room five seconds after it squirted. At least I know you're a gentleman and let... The room finished first. I hate all. But then, I'm Mikey, go ahead and you ghosted it. No, yeah. Yeah. no, Mikey, you can't retract anything. Yeah, I think for Mikey, he he would go to the room and it would just be all the women he's ghosted. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! We're gonna need a suite. <laughs> 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 okay, move us in there. I got some good jokes about the sprinkler. <laughs> that is way uh, way away. Anyway, he does eventually give him the key. And he's like, oh, you've got a key. That's kind of a nice touch. And he's like, well, we have Magna cards, too, but they don't seem to work on 1408. Electronics don't seem to work there. Meanwhile, in that room, all the electronics work like that. Clock no, works, they all malfunction, but they work like they have electricity. He makes it sound like electricity doesn't work in that room. Every light works. The clock works like. No, I took it to mean that it doesn't work as intended. It doesn't always open when you need it to. It doesn't always. Oh, sure. Close when you need like because the clock is running on like a 60 minute timer the thermostat is uncontrollable you know the lights go on and off like yeah no absolutely you're right and at this point john cusack's kind of like what and he's like look i i need to kind of let you in on something this isn't haunted it's an evil room and he's like what well, come on and he's like well, why not just close the room and he's like well the company that owns the hotel wants to pretend that everything's fine, just like we pretend that there's no 13th floor. The room does get a full turn once a month. 
but we treat it as if there's poison gas in it. They go in two at a time. The doors remain open. But even still, a maid got locked in the bathroom accidentally a couple years back. And when they pulled her out, she was blind because she had gouged her own eyes out and was laughing hysterically. If I had to facilitate a team turning that room once a month, we would handle it exactly like they handled the roof in Chernobyl, that uh, miniseries on the Chernobyl uh, nuclear meltdown. Have you guys seen that? Yes. Yes, but it's been a while. Well, they literally will not let them stay out longer and like, because they've yes. got to get like the core off of the roof because it's just like exposed radiational core or whatever. So they're like, all right, you have 25 seconds. You got to run out there. You got to brush off whatever and then run back in. If you take longer than 25 seconds, you'll die. Good luck. We'll see you at the bottom. Bye. <laughs> like it is yeah. a bonker scene. And then literally like teams of like hundreds of people running in. Yes. Now they get to the floor and Samuel L. Jackson refuses to get off the elevator. And he says, this is as close as I get to that room aside from that time of the month. Now, what's weird, though, and, and I guess the implication is that the illusion of the room starts the second he walks into the hotel because there do appear to be other guests on that floor. Oh, you see all of the people that jump out the window, the baby and the mother, all of them are in the lobby. Yeah, including the guys from the post office. And so at first when he was like, yeah, I don't this is as close as I get. At that point, you're just like, what? Because there's other guests here. There are not other guests there. Yeah. Like, when you're watching this on a second time through, you're like, oh, there's no other guests there. Yeah. So he starts looking over the crime scene photos as he walks to the room. And he actually gets so distracted that he walks all the way around back to the elevators again and then has to find the room. So he does, like, a full lap. Yeah. He does as he's flipping through the crime scene photos, uh, come upon a phrase that says, my brother was eaten by wolves on the Connecticut Turnpike, which is actually from the short story. I'll talk about it. Oh, okay, cool. So he does also see discarded room service food and the woman with the baby from the lobby. He arrives at the room. He knocks, no one answers. He turns the key and enters and he's like, this is it. It's It's just a room. Like everything about this is normal. Where is all the scary shit? And he's like bored. He's looking at the mini bar. I mean, he's handling it the exact same way he did at the first hotel we see him at. Yeah. Which is like, okay, cool setup. The manager does a great job making it feel creepy, but it's it very much is just a regular room with like one of those old keys. Have you guys ever stayed in a hotel with like an old brass key like that? It's been a long time, but yeah, like a bread and breakfast. Yeah. I I went to San Francisco once and I stayed in uh, the Pacific Union Club, which you mm. have to be a member of or a guest of someone who is a member to be able to stay at it. Right. It was a wild experience, but it was very cool. And it felt very like that because they give you like an old metal key. I had to like carry a card on me to get in the front door with the name of the person who was a member of the club and them saying I could stay there. I was like walking around with like a, a note from my dad. Like, cause when you ring on the doorbell for them to let you in, cause you can't just walk in this place. I had to hold my like permission slip up to the camera so they'd unlock the door. <laughs> it's that kind of place like where john wick stayed that hotel the continental, continental i believe is the name of the yeah. hotel is more like a skyscraper this is all like more like a old mansion in downtown san francisco hmm. 
I mean, it, it was a cool experience that I'll, I'm sure, never get to experience again. But it was wild. So he comes in. It's pretty normal. The one thing that seems to stand out is that the thermostat is stuck at 80, like that girl that Mikey slept with who might have been a lizard. <laughs> <laughs> when did yeah. we talk about that? That was uh, Romance in the Pod. That pod. was like last week. Yeah, yeah it was It was literally <laughs> like this past Thursday. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. It was. What was her thermostat set at 84? Her thermostat was set at Iguana. Oh, my God. I, I would be out. I wouldn't stay in this room. I'd be like, this room is haunted. I can't sleep in a room that's 80 degrees. No. Anyway, uh, so he tries to fix it and he can't. So he's walking around the room, describing it into his recorder. He opens the window. And as he does, the radio comes on playing. We've only just begun. And he turns and the bed that he was sitting on moments ago is now freshly turned with mints. And he's like, OK, that's a cool trick. Very unsettling. Clearly somebody's in the room. Yeah. He runs back to the bathroom. The toilet paper's folded again, even though he pulled one of the the sheets off he turns the radio off and he's like oh fun a ghost that offers turn down service but he basically goes through the room looking for whoever did it because he yeah. assumes that it was a person yeah which i think is a pretty fair assumption i mean if you're a cynic like that yeah like at this point yeah. i would not yet think that i was being haunted or the room was evil but the second that radio comes on i'd be out of that room <laughs> oh hell no i'd be like free chocolate Exactly. Yeah, you would have got me with a chocolate. I'm like, hell yeah. I love turn down service. Well, there's a point at which an engineer comes to help fix the thermostat and he could have gotten out at that point. That's when I think I would have gotten out. I like I the engineer been, because he was on the wire. I was going to say that too, Mikey. Yeah. He sees something move in the vent above him and he's like, aha, try harder, asshole. So he gets a call from the front desk. And they're like, are you ready to check out? And he's like, no, I just need somebody to come fix my thermostat. And they're like, okay, we'll send an engineer right up. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, great. Yeah. So he starts narrating into his recorder again. He hears the mother and the baby next door. And this is where he says the whole thing about hotel rooms are naturally creepy, but we're here to get the story. So he pulls out a black light and he sees all of the blood from all of the bodies in that room. Yeah. I don't know. It could have been some other stuff. <laughs> it it could have been. We know it isn't, though, because they flash the bodies there. Like, you see right. the bodies, which I don't think John saw that. Yeah, yeah. I think that it was just showing us that, oh, that's where that picture was. This is where that right. picture was. Yeah. Right. And w the one that did bother me, though, is that they showed it on the bed. And I'm like, but those linens are washed and changed. Yeah. And then... When he turns the light back on, you can actually still see some of the drips of the luminol on the bed, like from where the set dressing kind of messed it up. Oh, yeah. He notices that the painting of the boat on the wall, because he described all the art, is crooked. And he goes to adjust it and realizes that the light above it is crooked. So even once he gets the painting, like, straight, the light's not really straight. Yeah. And he says, it's not that what I'm seeing isn't real. It just isn't as real as it seems. And at this point, there's a knock on the door. And it's the engineer who won't come into the room. Yeah. And this is the guy who is Senator Clayton Davis, I think, from The Wire. The only thing missing from this is John Cusack being like, hey, why don't you come into the room? And him being like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for it. It would have been amazing. So his whole shit thing is actually, he's done it in a number of... Of projects oh, yeah. and now it's like his calling card yes so he does it in almost everything he's in now yeah it's sort of like uh samuel L. jackson saying motherfucker you know yeah yeah 
I love. I don't know when it was, but there's a supercut of it. I was about of him to say just that. Yeah. Shit. There is a supercut of him saying shit in various things. Most of them are in the wire, but there are some that are not from the wire. And it is like yeah. ten minutes of him just going shit. shit. It's so great. I love it. So he talks him through fixing the thermostat. He does. The air conditioning kicks on. It's perfect. He turns to give him a tip, and he's already going towards the elevator. Like he's fucking out of there. Yeah. So John Cusack looks out into the hallway. And at this point, I think if he had left, he would have been out. Yeah. This is the last time he like communicates with, I think, a non-room entity. Yeah, that that's what I would say. And because and, that's the key. And it kind of reminded me of Oculus, where it's like, who are you talking to? Like, how far can you get? Are you really outside the room at all? I yeah. think in reality, he is probably just standing still in the middle of the room and all this is happening in his head within the room. Mm. Like if you walked into the room, he would probably just be sitting or standing. Nothing would be happening. Or like that phone call where they're like, they're in the room and you're not there. Yeah. Like, yeah, where maybe you are at a different plane of existence. Who knows? Anyway, he pours himself more brandy. The radio kicks on again. And this is where the 60 minute countdown starts. And he says into his recorder, nobody lasts more than an hour. Very effective. Yeah. So he looks out the window because he hears a very high-pitched whistling noise. And he looks down, doesn't see anything. He starts to hear a heartbeat. And as he turns to go back into the room, the window slams on his hand and cuts him really bad. There's blood everywhere. He's trying to wash it off in the sink. It turns to boiling water. He's got a ton of towels everywhere. He ends up wrapping his hand in a bandana and the radio goes off again. He rips the clock out of the wall and it doesn't turn off. Which I thought was a cool effect. Both when he does this, ripping that cord out of the wall and the the clock doesn't go off. And when he tries to get out with the key and the key breaks and then the key that's in the keyhole gets sucked through it. I was like, someone needs to make like a haunted escape room. Like that would be like a bestseller anywhere you go. Like, yeah. So the phone rings. He answers it. And they're like, there's a 10 minute delay on your sandwich. He's like, I didn't order a sandwich, but like, I'm hurt. Can you call 911? And it seems to be like a recording where it's not actually answering him. It's just giving answers to questions he's not asking. And it's like, do you want us to connect you with Mr. Olin? And he's like, yes, please. And it doesn't. It just hangs up. Uh, So he runs to the door. He tries to use the key to get out. The key breaks. He tries to break his way out with a knife. The knob comes off. He kicks the door. He calls out the window because now he's like, I'm trapped in here. Yeah. And he calls to someone that he sees across the way. But that person's mimicking his hand motions. It's pretty cool. We see that it's him because he picks up a lamp. And as the lamp gets close to his face, so does the person across the street. Realizes it's him. And as he watches across the street, there's someone behind him. He turns and there's like a killer with a hammer but then he's immediately gone. First off, the mirroring thing from across the street, I thought was cool as shit. Because at first, mm-hmm. they're not mirrored. Like, John Cusack is standing by the window, and that person across the way is sitting down on, like, a couch or something. Right. And then the second mm-hmm. he gets up, they start to mirror, and I was like, oh, that's a really, really cool effect. And then when they show it's John Cusack, I was like, oh, shit. I thought that that part was mm-hmm. cool, and it really sucks you in. Like, it's sort of like you lean yeah. in at that moment. And then the hammer jump scare killer, like, that, fuck, that got me. Like That that was a good jump scare. I hated that so much because you're already leaning in like, oh, shit, they're mirroring. Like, oh, damn, like, that's right. wild. Except yeah. it looks too much like Howard. The duck? Ron Howard's brother. Clint Howard? That's what the, the hammer killer looks like. Or Tracy Allman dressed up in the Mandalorian makeup. That, though. 
So he tosses the lamp out the window, but it disappears before hitting the ground. Yeah, it does like this electric like flash thing and then disappears. Yeah, which is the the first of many times we will see that happen in this movie. Yeah. The TV turns on and it's his own home movies. Man, I was not expecting it to go to such an emotional place. And from here almost to the very, very end, it gets real sad. Yeah. Yeah. And... So he's like, okay, someone's fucking with me. He's looking in the vents. He thinks there's a spy cam. This is where he first kind of puts out the idea that, like, he gave me booze. Am I dosed? That has to be it. Yeah. It'll just be a couple hours and I'll be okay. I'm just having sort of a weird trip, sort of, is what he's thinking. Right. But the TV does come on again and again. It's his home movies. And it's... Like his daughter, where we've clearly established that something weird happened with the daughter. We don't know what ha- happened yet, though. And as he's watching, another ghost jumps out the window. Then a second ghost walking through the room also jumps out the window. Then he hears the baby screaming next door and remembers that there's a guest next door to him. Yeah. Allegedly. So he goes and bangs on the wall, uh, but no answer. The baby's just screaming and it becomes this horrible cacophonous noise. So he throws a chair at the wall. It breaks. Yeah, it like explodes. Like the chair like is no match for the wall. The wall is not even scratched. Right. He gets up because he sees kind of a light coming from the bathroom. He walks into the bathroom and it's basically a hospital room and his dad in a wheelchair. Yeah. And as he goes to kind of like talk to his dad, his dad says, as you are, I was. And as I am, you will be. Meaning you're going to die. Essentially, yeah. I've been like, yeah, like I'm a human. I, we get Everybody old. does. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a theme in this movie because his daughter says that to them a few times. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he freaks out and backs up. And as he does, he's back in the bathroom and yeah. the sink is starting to overflow with blood. It's just all bad. And he's like, well, maybe I'm just having a nightmare. When was the last time I remember to going remember going to bed? Yeah. Uh, which bears to mention that in this movie, we have not seen him sleep. I don't think we ever see him sleep, right? We never see him sleep. Yeah. Uh, and he's struggling to remember. He's like, I flew in yesterday or was that today? I can't remember. Was I on a train? I woke up somewhere and I had breakfast. Where was I when I did that? When was that? Not where was I? When was when I? When was I? Just like time. Cop. What day is it? <laughs> what what <laughs> year? Exactly. Oh, Kyle Reese. Our best movies deal with time. Terminator, Time Cop, Back to the Future. My time traveler's wife. Oh, no. Have you guys been watching the HBO show? Absolutely no. not. Guys, <laughs> guys, I have watched every episode that's out so far, and they have not done anything to mitigate the grooming. Like it's. Of course not. It's all. It's terrible. It's like a fixture of the story. I know. Anyway, so he comes back into the room and the wall is bleeding. And he's like, they say you can't die in your dreams. Is that true? And he opens the window and he's like, well, what if I climb out into the window of 1410? Because I know there's somebody next door. How many feet across is that? Yeah, he counts like nine, right? He counts back from the wall nine. And he's like, okay, so if it's the same distance, it's 18 steps or whatever. Right. So he climbs out onto the ledge and before he starts walking, he records like, just let it be known that if I fall, the room did not win. It was an accident. I do love that he's that kind of petty. He's like, fuck the room. (laughs) If I fall, it was an accident. I didn't kill myself. Oh, hi, room. You did not win. (laughs) Yeah. I like his pettiness in this room. Me too. You're tearing me apart, hotel. Yeah. (laughs) Love it. 
We have to do that movie on Romance in the Pod. I, we gotta. We gotta. It's uh, so crazy. Mikey, it's not a musical. I know. I've seen The Room. It's a Mikey movie. I watched yeah. the Rocky Horror Picture Show last night because Natalie hadn't seen it. Whatever? She had never seen it, yeah. Uh, uh, and she asked, she was like, do you think Mikey has seen this movie? And I was like, no, I can guarantee you no. Mikey has not seen the Rocky Horror. I have seen the Rocky Horror picture. Have you? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What are your thoughts on it, Mikey? I mean, I will save that for when we eventually do that. I think we should do that as a live show. Oh. I think we should do it live. Agree, Paige. I mean, I see why people love it. Right. It's not. I just don't like musical. I'm sorry. I just don't like it. Well, they didn't make it for you. Sorry. <laughs> That's from the movie. That is from the movie. <laughs> Um, I I will say, controversial opinion, the first act of Rocky Horror is great. The last act of Rocky Horror is a hot-ass mess. Yeah. But we take it for its imperfect wonder as is. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I'll watch it anytime I can, but I completely agree with what you just said. I I prefer to watch it in theaters. Oh, yeah. I've watched it a few times at home, but like I, I definitely prefer it in theaters. Love the music, though. Yeah, me too. I also love the don't dream it, be it. I have a shirt of that. I thought about getting that as a tattoo at one point. I do, but that song is a huge time slog for me in the movie. It's a great song. It really hurts the movie, time-wise. I honestly don't love the song. I love the sentiment. Guys, I don't want to scare y'all, but we're still in the room 1408. I got out! Uh, I was out! I was talking uh, about the Rocky Horror Picture Show! I was watching him punch a snake with a really crispy mullet! <laughs> anyway, he moves along the ledge, and there's suddenly no window. There's no window on that side, the other side. All windows are gone. The only two windows that exist are the two windows that tie to 1408. Right, yeah. and so he climbs back, he gets back into 1408, and or at least he gets back to that window and then the ghosts are trying to knock him off the ledge. Yeah. I got the impression that as he got to the window, that lady ghost was just trying to jump out the window and she was like, move, I'm using the window. Like she wasn't <laughs> trying to kill him. She was just trying to use the window. Uh, that's what I saw, too. Yeah. Thank you, Mikey. I mean, she just like step on his feet and stuff, though. She steps on his feet when he's hanging. Yeah, he he climb He tries to climb back in and they like shut the window on him to kind of knock him back out. And then they're like trying to step on his feet to get out the window and then they jump over him essentially but he does eventually get back in i'm still trying to figure out how they step on his feet if he's hanging from the side of the hotel right she's climbing out the window but his feet are dangling six feet below there sorry stop she is stomping on his hands oh with her feet i'm sorry okay (laughs) i was like his feet are hanging six feet below that how is i was like why is this confusing and then okay (laughs) My bad. I thought I like fell asleep for a second where she's floating down by his feet and stepping on. Them. No, 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 no. She she's stepping on his hands. Okay, okay. Uh, but he does he does climb back through. Yes, and barely in time because the window closes and then it gets like you know brick and mortared Bricked over. over yeah. yeah, and he sees that the map on the back of the door, like the escape map you would have at any hotel, yeah. now just is the room and the darkness around it. Yeah, it was like solid nothing, just that room. Yeah, and the brick walls say. Burn me alive. So he rewinds and replays the tape. And because he's like, I remember that the bedroom had a window and now it doesn't. But on the tape, it now says that the bedroom doesn't have a window. Which I hated. I was like, what is happening? Why? Well, we know he didn't say. (laughs) We know he didn't say that because we watched it the first time. I guess that's true. But then we wouldn't have heard that. I don't know. I struggled just like with Oculus. 
I struggle with movies that have an unreliable narrator because then why the fuck are we watching anything happen if we don't know if it actually happened or not? Right. To me, it's like watching a superhero movie. Like there are no stakes in those movies because no one we care about is ever going to die unless their contract is up and then they're going to die. I don't necessarily dislike an unreliable narrator as much as I get frustrated sometimes by an unreliable setting. Sure. You know, okay. yeah. for example, like, like if we look at the shining, Jack is an unreliable narrator, but we have a reliable setting. Yeah. Sort of, you know, like the, the overlook exists. We know there's ghosts and stuff there, yeah. but like for the other characters in the movie, they can exist within that world in a real way. But in this movie, we never know if anything happening to John Cusack is actually happening to John Cusack. I think this movie has clearer rules than Oculus does to, to compare it to something oh, kind of similar. I do too. Oculus was a little infuriating with its rules. Yeah, because in this movie, I have accepted that once that countdown clock starts, he is in another dimension. He is in a room experiencing all of this. None of it is happening in real life necessarily but he is experiencing This it. is the whole, like you were talking about earlier, if someone walked into the room, they might see him just sitting there in sort of a catatonic state. Yes. But he, at least in his mind, maybe in another dimension, right. is fully experiencing it. I agree with Not that. Not me, man. I think it's like, it's happening. It's in a, its own dimension. It's all breaking apart. Well, if you think about it in within the metaphor of experiencing the stages of grief, that is very prescient. The idea yes. that you are existing on a plane with everyone else, but inside you is a, a multitude of despair. Yeah, like you're at work doing whatever you do day to day and people right. like observe you doing what you normally do and you acting normally, but inside your head you're throwing plates at the wall or whatever stage you're in of grief. You're like crying on the floor or whatever. Yeah, yeah that, that famous stage of grief, throwing plates at the wall. I it's mean, anger, anger that Mikey, that would stages. be definitely one of the stages. Yes. Licensed mental health professional. Yes, yeah. that would definitely be one of the stages. Well, sta- okay, well, <laughs> stages of grief when it comes to actual science is not. I think all of that kind of stuff gives you a framework to talk about it, but it is very case by case based on the individual. Well, I mean, the 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 thing is that you when it says you like move the stages and it's not like stage one, stage two. I think it's just like seven very common things people feel in grief. Yes, which that makes right. that makes more sense to me just to but be like now you're going through bargaining. I, I think that's not like a thing, but like people can yeah. feel all of them all at once and separately and things of that nature. Yeah, I just think it gives you a way to talk about it with your therapist or with a friend or whoever you're processing your grief with. Right. Be like, yeah, yeah and I then, can definitely see this as like the anger phase I was in. And oh, and then if you time it, because like what that book, that book probably came out 30, 40 years ago. Sure, sure. I have no idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, like how good are people talking about their feelings, especially like 30, 40 years ago? I'll defer to Rihanna when she said, I'm breaking dishes up in here all night. Uh-huh. Yeah. I ain't going to stop till I see police lights. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, That's the stage mm-hmm. I'm in. The main stage at Coachella. Let's let Rihanna do Coachella, guys. I don't know why we haven't done this yet. I thought I was at Coachella, but I'm still in the room. I, <laughs> I thought I got out. I thought I got out. A bunch of rave dancers came around me, and then they ripped the rolls down, and then I'm back in the room. I thought I got out, but then that clock pawned a replay, and I am stuck here forever. You know way more Rihanna than I do. Hell yeah. She opened her umbrella. The rain came down, but then also when it came down, the walls melted away, and I was back in 1408. Uh, and we're still recording this episode 1408 aka disturbia (laughs) anyway he sits down he kind of covers his face and when he kind of moves his hands now he's in an oncology ward with 
his sick daughter. God, can we get out of like movies that you have to process trauma to like enjoy? Like I'm so no. over these movies. <laughs> like it's all trauma movies from now on. Oh, yeah, that's why we're gonna do Troll Two next week. Oh, I would 100% do Troll Two, although it's the listener request. So actually, wait, we have a listener request, and then we have summer, right? Summer films. I think so. Yeah. Yes. July? Then it's then it's summer films. Yeah. The first one we'll do will be Jaws Three, and I promise you. Now we're in the good sequels. Nice. Okay. And by the way, Mikey, I think it's actually pronounced Jaws 3D. 3D. It yeah, is 3D. It is. And it is streaming on Amazon Prime. Hell so. yeah. So in this movie still uh, <laughs> we're, we're still at 14 uh, the lights go out and we hear his daughter's voice say daddy I'm scared and it's dark in the room and the serial killer shows up again but then the lights turn back on and he's gone but now the room is like 45 degrees and it just keeps getting colder and finally I can sleep in this hotel room <laughs> I know right I was like oh perfect so let me bundle up yes he puts his jacket on. He tries to get cell service. He has no cell service. The thing that drove me nuts is I was like, he had a cell phone this whole time. I know. And he doesn't check the cell phone until now to see if it works. I was right? like, what are you doing with your life? That would have been like step uno for me. Yes, that is step one for sure, Paige. Anyway, then he tries Wi-Fi uh, and he does get like early Skype up on his computer. He does, but he doesn't call it Wi-Fi, Paige. Like he's in Boardwalk Empire talking about the radio. He calls it the wireless. I was like, how old is John Cusack? Like, I don't know that he's like he's 85. Old. Yeah, but he's not, he's not like old enough to call the radio the wireless old. Yeah, no. And and Bo I had to stop watching Boardwalk Empire because and I say this as an Italian, they all looked the same and I couldn't I couldn't follow who was doing what. I have only watched the first two seasons of Boardwalk Empire That's... because they killed Darmody. And I was like, oh, I don't really care about the yeah, show much. After I feel that. like they made a huge mistake with that move. And then it pulled like a Tudors where I was like, I'm out. Yep. I didn't even make it all the way through the second season because I was just like, I can't remember which one of you is who. I need a chart. <laughs> just so we can clear this up. Mm. John Cusack is 55 this year. Okay, yeah, so he's like a little bit younger than my parents. Yeah, he was 56, actually. He was born in 1966. And yet he still does not acknowledge his best film and refuses to talk about it. And that's why it's not available on streaming and why we can't do it on Romancing the Pod. And it makes me sad. Is it High Fidelity? No. What is Better it? Off Dead. Better Off Dead, bro. Oh, I have seen Better Off Dead and I quite enjoy it. Although I don't know if it holds up. It does. Okay. Because it's crazy. <laughs> Doesn't he ski down a hill with one ski? Yeah. He skis yeah. the K-12 on one ski. Yeah. yeah I've seen that movie. Yeah. Anyway, so he does get through to his wife, Lily, and he tries to get her to call the cops and send them to the hotel, but the sprinklers go on killing the computer. Uh, he manages to stop the sprinklers, but it's too late. The computer is dead uh, and he doesn't have a bag of rice to put it in. Is it dead, Paige, or does it come back later when it's covered with ice? Yeah. I was like, oh, there. I mean, whatever, man. This is straight up just the room being a dick right now. Yeah, and like, it's super cold and what he really needed was to cuddle up close to Idris Elba to stay warm. Hell yeah. But the room didn't let him have creature comfort. And Idris would have built him a whole cabin. <laughs> oh, I built this cabin. Actually, if, if people haven't listened to the Romancing the Pot episode on that, they might not understand That is that. the Mountain Between Us episode and everyone should listen to that episode. 
<laughs> the real mountain between us is my issues with commitment. <laughs> that is a fact. Yes. Yes. So John Cusack is committed to getting out of this room. And so he unscrews the grate <laughs> in the vent above and climbs up into the vent. There's roaches. He climbs over the lady's room next door and looks down to see her cradling her baby. But when she looks up, it's his wife and daughter. So he goes back the other way. And then there's like a weird mummy man in the vents. Yeah. Which yeah. like chases him around the air vent. I was like, what the hell is happening? But he was a wussy because like, he kicked him one time and his head exploded. That's the kind of ghost I want to fight. Yeah. Yeah. His head did explode, which I was like, wow, okay. But I did like how in this scene, as he's crawling around in this air vent, he's all like, come out of the coast. We'll get together. Have a few laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> he does use his lighter. He does. I know. When I yeah. saw that, I was like, man, if he was bald, I mean, it, it would yeah. be diehard. Well, and then he falls through the vent back into his his room and he's like oh it's good to be back but what i really wanted was for him to fall down and just say like i have a ghost now ho 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 just like (laughs) he he decides that he needs more alcohol i don't know why alcohol is not the answer unless the question is how do you be cool and then it's like technically in this movie alcohol is the answer in a way yeah alcohol (laughs) well or alcohol is the question and the answer is molotov cocktail (laughs) i mean he gets out of the room using alcohol and he That's goes true. being in the room using alcohol. Using alcohol. I did think it was funny that the room tells him super early on what to do to get out because it says burn me or whatever. Yeah, burn me alive. Yeah, burn me alive. And he eventually does decide to do what the wall asked him to do 30 minutes ago. Question, point of order. Okay. Do you think it's the room or do you think this isn't the first time he's lived through that hour cycle? Oh, shit, Paige. That would be a cool reveal if he scratched that in. Oh, like, shit, Paige. Yes. What I think is Fuck. that the room has a couple of kinks and one of them is being lit on fire. One of them is fire play. Yeah, I could see uh-huh. that. Yeah. Because like for a hotel room, pretty hot. <laughs> I do think for a hotel room, fire play is a lot like, you know, mild choking for other people. I mean, hotels have seen some shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's an old hotel. So, like, the things that really got that hotel going are not going to be the same. Like, he's going to have to push it further, you know? That hotel's going to need more, like, more extreme stuff. Oh, mm. yeah. I mean, that hotel needs to see more than just someone dying of consumption. Like, it's been through <laughs> that phase. It needs more than that. That's not doing the same thing for that room. You no. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anyway, so he goes to the mini bar and he's talking. He thinks he's talking to Samuel L. Jackson in the fridge. I think this is a figment of his imagination. I don't think Samuel L. Jackson talks to him through the fridge. He absolutely does not. I think you mean cupboard. No, it's a fridge, Mikey. It is a fridge. fridge. Yeah. It's got sodies in there. Sodies? It's got sodas in there. (laughs) Anyway, he pulls everything out of the mini bar. I mean, he loses his mind on that mini bar. He breaks shelves. He pulls out all the snacks like he is pissed at that mini bar. And we flashback to his daughter at the hospital who's asking why the Bible is purple. And we reveal that their grandma brought it from Hungary. It's this whole conversation of like, what happens when you die? His wife is very much like, it's a happy place. Your friends are going to be there. Like, don't worry about it. And he says he kind of goes along with it, but feels like he's lying to her um, because it'll come up in their fight a little bit later. Yeah, but this is also one of those things like your daughter's dying and you want her to be at somewhat of peace with that because there's not much more you can do. So like I also if this was a lie for him at that moment, I completely understand why he lied to her about it. 
Yeah. But I could also see like maybe he actually did believe it and then lost his faith after she died because she died. That like, could be. That would also make sense to me too. People's faith journeys are strange and very personal. So like I could definitely see it being that he actually did believe it in that moment. Yeah, that could be. We cut to the next scene where he and his wife are fighting basically after she has died. Yeah, it's clear she passed away. And he's like very like we should have done more. We should have done more. And the, and the wife is very much like we did everything we could. Like it just it took her from us, you know. Right. It's it's just a bummer and it's sad. Yeah, it's fucking terrible. Like not to get too much into it. When Pupcake, our dog died, N- Natalie and I had these conversations while we were sort of grieving it. Like, was there more we could do? And like, you know, it, she just had a disease that was eventually going to take her from us, you know, and it did. Yeah. It's just a little bit more sad when it's a child. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I wasn't going to say that about <laughs> your dead dog, but I was like, well, no, I mean, I'm just using that as a reference of like Natalie and I had these conversations, you know, like these conversations actually happen. Yeah. But I. I would say it's probably way more sad when it's like your kid. Yeah. Although I don't have kids, so I don't know. But I think, yeah, the bar's lower with like, your dog because like you didn't take her out back and old yell at her to like help her through the process. So, I mean, I think like, I think you did good. Yeah. We were there with her when she passed. It was very sad. Anyway, so he turns around and there's a fax machine in the room <laughs> and it faxes out Katie's shirt. Yeah, I can't believe I mixed up what year this came out. Yeah, right? (laughs) Also, this is probably the last movie to feature a fax machine. Although it's actually a 3D printer and it I was about to say that, yes. I was like, they either invented the trauma fax or just a 3D printer. (laughs) Or it's the first printer in the history of the world to not jam. (laughs) (laughs) I wish this technology existed so if I sharded myself, I could print new boxers. For different reasons. Okay. When I said me too, I want to be clear that it was not for shitting myself reason <laughs> i mean although i will say if i find myself like if i'm sick or have eaten chipotle recently and i find myself with dirty boxers it would be a nice option okay picture this i really don't want to picture your dirty boxers mikey now your family's in a mental health crisis oh, okay to the point where you have to call 911 okay there's a new program in town there's a there's a counselor in a police car they come to your door but then you look at the counselor and the butt of his jeans is ripped wide open, eight inches. Eight inches. That's a little generous. <laughs> Four and a half inches. Go uh, ahead. <laughs> and if I had the technology to print new jeans that day, maybe people wouldn't have those. Hang on a second. I, did this actually happen? <laughs> yeah, I did. And I remember because he talked about it on the episode that day. <laughs> I completely forgot about that, Mikey. Okay. All right. Wasn't that also the day that you accidentally sit over the loudspeaker that you had to shit really bad? No, that was like the first week of the program where I thought I was like, oh, I just killed the program. <laughs> How bad did you destroy their bathroom? No, no, no. <laughs> oh, okay. loudspeaker, the PA system. Oh, that's right. Police car. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. No, I had a ripped out and I wear compression pants like underneath my jeans for work mikey they're called spanks they don't go over my gut oh okay sorry (sighs) but still it was very embarrassing and i just wish you could print new clothes i think that'd be easier it honestly would be great it wouldn't necessarily be a fix for fast fashion but it would be great i just want the star trek replicator for food yeah why do we not have that yet that is no joke i want that i would be dead in 30 minutes if we had that mikey you're not supposed to have sex with it no i would just be like (laughs) What's that food that kills like one-tenth of the people it eats? Print me one of those. (laughs) I just want a cupcake that cures diabetes. Get on it. A cupcake (laughs) being the cure for diabetes would be quite the coup in like the health food realm. I'll be honest with you. 
Or they're like, we have this new medicine for you. It's cheese cubes. <laughs> have you ever heard of cheese curds covered in gravy? That's how you cure yourself of diabetes. I'm sorry. Love what? it. Love it. You know how they have gummy, <laughs> you know they have gummy vitamins? What if you could buy vitamins that were just cheese cubes? <laughs> Honestly, I bet you could do that. You would just infuse whatever you infuse into the gummy into the cheese. Right? Guys, I don't know if you've looked around. But we're still in the room 1408. I was out. I thought we were brainstorming our medicine as cheese idea. I mean, do you know how easy it would give dogs medicine if you just like made it a cheese cube? It would be so easy. We already hide pills in cheese. I'm angry. (laughs) And here's what we do. We headquarter this new business in Nazareth, Pennsylvania and call it Cheeses of Nazareth because they have healing qualities. You're welcome. Printing money yes. right now How are we out of the not fax millionaires? machine. I'm cutting this from the episode because we are doing this. This is a yeah. billion dollar idea, guys. Yes. And if you put the cheese cubes on your eyes, it can cure blindness. Have you ever seen a leper eating cheese? No, you have no. not. Next scene. You're welcome. Next scene. Next scene. Next scene. <laughs> this protest outside is getting way louder than I thought it was going to get, Paige. We might yeah, yeah, want to yeah, move yeah, on. Yeah. Anyway, the room is now freezing, covered in snow. He tries to adjust the thermostat, and it's showing negative five, which I don't think it would show. Like, I don't think thermostats that. go that far. It's a haunted thermostat. Ooh, energy conservation. <laughs> but this is where he thinks that he's in the levels of hell but he sees that the computer's still on so he goes back and gets through to lily and she's like hey they're in 1408 and the room is empty yeah and he's like i'm supposed to die and she's like i could be there in 15 minutes he's like it's not long enough but then a different window with his face pops up and is like that's perfect i need you come here just come straight to the room yes and then i need you to she, wire me twenty thousand dollars to free my <laughs> my relative yeah. the prince of this made-up country so that we can then split the money with you anyway she's being catfished by a ghost my favorite would have been if there was an extra window that popped up and it was just Neve from Catfish. It's like, hey, so we've been wondering why your phone is registered to uh, Mr. Dick Pants. Do you know who that is? <laughs> so he hangs up or at least she hangs up. He closed the computer. The ceiling caves in. The floor is crashing. The whole place is coming apart. The painting now has a dead baby. The shipwreck is now like at sea with the You're serial killer. You're tearing me apart, room. You're tearing me apart, room. <laughs> I did not hit her. I did not. I re- <laughs> Speaking of hit, I really love when he goes towards that painting trying to hit it with that stick or whatever. And then it just squirts water all over the room like it like covers the whole room in water and then he is on like i don't know i think it's one of the like wardrobes that he's like holding on to when it's Uh like the room is completely flooded and i was like oh he's got plenty of room to let leo on that armoire or whatever yeah absolutely (laughs) but then it turns into the surfboard and he wakes up on the beach yeah looking up at that airplane ad that says one loan low fee and the phone number is 1408 yeah well and then that same guy runs over to him and like looks over and does the same thing we saw Mm -hmm. earlier like are you all right are you breathing that whole thing he wakes up in the hospital and one of the clues that we're not where we seem is that he still hears the paging for dr edwards to oncology yeah and that's the one for his daughter but he wakes up and his wife is there and she's like you're in la you never went to new york the dolphin hotel doesn't exist 
never heard of it. Yeah, I guess I'm still your point of contact for like emergency stuff. Yeah. Right. They go pick up his car. He has $600 worth of parking tickets. They absolutely would have towed it by then. I don't know. Yes. Anyway, uh, but he basically tells her like, I had to leave because every time I looked at you, I saw her face and he goes to dinner with her and he's like, this was a dream, but I was down the rabbit hole. Like, maybe you should check me in for an evaluation because it was like it felt real. I felt like she was there. Yeah. You know, it, it was a whole thing, but I'm ready to kind of deal with it. And she's like, well, maybe you should write about it. And he's like, well, can you stay? And she's like, I'm sorry, I can't. So we cut to the next day. He's going through the microfiche again. But now all the stories have changed to where they're like jumping off bridges or yeah. dying in a different way. And it has nothing to do with the hotel. So he goes back to his house. He's writing the whole book out. He goes to the post office and goes to turn in his book to send to his publisher. And it's not the same guy as before at the post office. It's the porter from the hotel. In fact, they're all the hotel workers. And they destroy the post office around him. And he's back in the room. And again, it says on the walls, burn me alive. Yeah, dude, I would have loved to have filmed that scene because they are like just sledgehammering that set. It looks super fun. I loved it. Like I have been to one of those like destroy rooms where they like give you like sledgehammers and bats and stuff and then give you like, I don't know, like plates and like Mm -hmm. TVs and shit. And you just go ham for 30 minutes. And it is a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. This reminded me of the opening of every HGTV renovation show where they're like, this house has good bones. We're going to take it to the studs. And you're just like, okay, geez. How have they not made a home renovation show about haunted houses called Good Bones? There, Well, there is a show called Good Bones, but it's not about haunted houses. It's just about uh, a town in Indiana where a mother-daughter team flip houses and renovate houses. And it's actually pretty good. Boring. I like Good Bones. I also like Hometown. That's fine. But unless they found actual bones in every one of the houses they're renovating, it's a terrible name for that show. They did find a child's shoe wrapped in fabric hidden in one of the walls. Okay. Well, that's not as cool as my premise. So they can get the fuck out of my show. (laughs) Okay, fuck. They're like six. Seasons in or something, by the way. <laughs> like, this is an uphill battle for you. I'm, I'm definitely losing this court battle, but I'm definitely having it. Bad bones. You could call it bad bones. Bad bones. <laughs> After the season premiere of Good Bones, make sure you check out Bad Bones. Bad Bones. Bad Bones. Bad Bones. <laughs> what you what gonna, you gonna do? do? What you gonna do when the roof falls on you? Bad Bones. Bad Bones. Oh, well, no, we're coming to renovate you. We're coming to renovate you. Hell yeah, Mikey. Look at you being good with songs all of a sudden. Yeah. So we cut back to the room where it's clearly been through a fire. Uh, and this is where he's like, I was out. I know I was out. And there's a door in the middle of the room. Yeah. He's pulling me back in. He knocks on the door. He opens it. And it's a door into black nothingness. And he turns and his daughter Katie is in the room. Yeah. He's like, you're not Katie, but she seems real. She hugs him. He gets to hold her. I sob through this portion Same. of the movie every time. This was awful. I hated this so I mean, much. It was sad. I didn't cry. I did. I, I cry yeah. every time. And I've seen this movie multiple times and knew it was coming Fuck. and still cried. I mean, when she's like hugging him and he's hugging her and she's like, I don't want to go. I want to stay with you. Can we be together with mommy? And he's like, yes, absolutely. And then she goes limp in his arms and dies. She dies in his I arms was like, again. Yeah. What the 
fuck. I'm just fully sobbing at that moment. Yeah. And then so as, as she dies and he's crying, the radio comes on again and she just crumbles into dust in his arms. Yes. Which is just like, as if it's not enough that she died. She turns to yeah. ash in his arms. Yep. It's so sad. Yeah. He tears through the room looking for the clock radio. He sees it and watches as it counts down 16 seconds, nine, yeah. three. And then he wakes up on the floor of a completely normal room as if none of it had happened. Yeah. And the 60 minutes starts over again. The phone rings and he answers it and he just says, why don't you just kill me? And it says, well, we like our guests to have free will, but we do have our express checkout system. And so there's like a noose in every room of the suite. Yeah. And they're like, or you could relive this hour over and over. And he flashes through all the crime scene photos. He looks in the mirror and sees himself essentially hanging. Um, and he turns where the bed was. There's his grave next to Katie's. And the phone asks, are you ready to check out? And he says, not your way. And they say, well, your wife just called. We'll send her straight up. And he's like, I'm going to end this. Yeah. I can't do it. Got it. I got to do something. So he sets the phone down and it melts, which is pretty cool looking. It looks like it was made of butter. Do we have a fun fact about this. We do. I have a fun fact about how they did the phone. Okay. So I have a theory. Can I give you my theory on it, Paige? Yeah, sure. Do you know those chocolate things that you then pour syrup over and they melt away to reveal like a treat in the ball See, of chocolate? See, that's how I thought they did it initially. That's, what that's I thought, not too. how they did it. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah, cool. cool. Th that's not, but th that is what it looks like. It's, ma it's, it's, it's made of butter, right? It's not made of butter. <laughs> I don't know. I think he's onto something. I think it's made of butter. Yeah, it's made of it's, butter. Yeah. It's yeah. definitely made it's of butter. It's like Paige, the yeah. classic special effect. <laughs> it's made of butter and then it melts. Paige, it's definitely made of butter. I'm so sorry. I'm no. so sorry. I just think it's very funny that he keeps saying it's made of butter. I can't believe it's not made it's of butter. Not butter. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Yes. Fuck you. Oh my goodness. Anyway, so he uses the bottle of brandy and makes a Molotov cocktail and he tosses it, lights the bedroom on fire. I love that he mumbles to himself the whole time. He's like, well, fire's real. This fire's real. So if I light the room on fire, like I'll win and I'll die, but the room will die. I was like, man, this guy's good. He's like, he's there. Yeah. Uh, so the kind of consequences of him starting the fire is that it also stops his wife's cab. So she's delayed. Yeah. And they evacuate the hotel. And as he kind of starts to pass out from smoke inhalation, he just says, we're here to do the job and we don't rattle. And everything is starting to like burn he's like i give this play 10 skulls and then he throws the ashtray out the window because as we know from backdraft yeah i thought of backdraft too if you go we go you go we go <laughs> uh, because all the oxygen is trapped in the room so as yeah. soon as he yeah so it explodes out the windows and everyone from the street looks up at it including his wife his wife is downstairs so the fire department breaks down the door pulls him out I thought it was sad when his wife was like oh that's the 13th floor not the 14th floor we're okay Yeah <laughs> <laughs> So as the fire department's pulling him out he's like don't go into that room it's evil and we watch as the numbers on the door melt Yeah those were butter right those numbers, that's butter numbers. Yeah those butter. they were yeah. butter Classic butter special effect Yeah butter butter numbers butter numbers Yeah so uh, this is where Samuel L. Jackson says, well done, Mr. Enslin. Well done. As his staff is panicking because the, the I, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they shot this 
in the three days they had Samuel L. Jackson on set. Right. So it's Samuel L. Jackson by himself in his office as his hotel is on fire and his staff is running out crazy. Like, I thought that was so yeah. funny to me. Well, and I think for him, I think he's wanted to destroy that room for a long time. He thinks mm. maybe this time he might have done it. So he wakes up in the hospital in New York. They think old wiring started the fire. Uh, but he basically. <laughs> but no, they didn't. They very clearly see oh, the Molotov yeah. cocktail remnants on the floor. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, you would know what started that fire. Well, and the whole whole, whole hotel is closed for now. Yeah. But. He is basically writing a book about his time there. He says, no more ghost stories. She brings him a box of his stuff from the fire and says, well, it smells like smoke. Do you want me to toss it? And he pulls his recorder out. Now, granted, the film, the the tape, the actual tape itself would have melted and burned. Oh, the tape is very yeah, flammable. Like, yeah, it's made of butter. Yeah, it's made of full butter. The cassette player itself is like warped and, you know, delicious because it's made of butter. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but he plays it back and they can hear Katie's voice on the recording and his wife hears it too. And that's the movie. So having seen the movie, having talked about the movie, what did you guys think of 1408? I like it, I guess. It's it's not my favorite, but... I'd prefer an Airbnb. <laughs> Uh, I, I think it, it, it does a good job at, at what it's trying to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I don't think... I, okay, so for me, it was scary and it do, It was very sad, but I... Oh, man. I don't think it's as good as The Night House or His House. No. Yeah, both of those are better. At the whole addressing the trauma aspect of it. But it is a good horror movie. I just don't like those. All jokes you know? aside... I saw it when it came out. I never revisited it, which yeah. to me tells me that I just, you know, I thought it was decent. I just didn't yeah. ever want to revisit it. And I think when a couple loses a child, there's like a high probability that they will break up for oh, yeah, lots of it's reasons. Oh, so yeah. hard. Yeah. And I don't know. I, 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 I just, I think it's okay. I don't want to use the word mediocre. I just think it just it just doesn't do it for me where I want to ever rewatch it. So I never I have not seen it again till today from when we watched it in theaters. Fair enough. I I do love a good spooky hotel movie. Mm-hmm. I I do love it. And so I've watched this a handful of times. Like if it's on TV, I'll stop and watch it. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's not one of those where I'm like, that's one of my favorites, you know, or whatever. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for a haunted hotel movie, I do think The Shining's a better version of this. Yeah. But I think this has a better metaphor than The Shining does, maybe, or maybe it's just handled in Ooh, a strong words up more updated way than The Shining did. Y- yeah, I think yeah, alcohol solves all your problems. <laughs> <laughs> and it does. This in this movie, alcohol does solve all the problems. I, I mean, I, I think The Shining is. I, I mean, and one you have to kind of compare like book, movie. Oh, I just compare movie to movie. I don't deal with that foolishness. <laughs> I know it's unpopular. I like the, the Kubrick version, and I do think it has a very clear cinematography and clear vision. And I think this is maybe not as fleshed out as it could be. But also, I don't think it's meant to be. This isn't meant to be The Shining. This is. A, you know, four hour and 45 minute, we're putting this out during the summer to rake in some cash kind of movie. So like it does feel more like that. Yeah. For that, it's good, I guess, you know. Yeah. And I do feel it's much more like that than like the night house or his house. Right. Because those movies clearly have a message about trauma. And this movie does sort of, but doesn't really hit it as strongly as those other two movies do. I also think that part of what we're seeing is just a trend movie wise where I think horror movies made now in the last 
let's call it five to 10 years, are very, very focused on having a metaphor and a direction and a, and are kind of slower and a little more detail oriented for that specific version. It's a lot fewer jump scares, a lot more dread, yeah. which I personally really, really love. It's not for everybody. That's okay. This period of horror movie making is a lot more about jump scares, yeah. horrifying imagery, which has its place. And so I think from the time, it's not bad. Like, you could do way, way worse. I just think that if you're trying to compare it to movies today, there's a whole different attitude about how those movies are made modern day. Yeah, that's fair. I'm curious to see how the story ends, the the, the short story. Uh, it's not happy. That checks out. You know who doesn't check out? John Cusack. Yeah, so it's uh, from the collection of stories called Everything's Eventual. Stephen King says that this is his version of what he calls, as a trope, the ghostly room at the inn. Uh, basically his term for a theme of haunted hotel or motel rooms in horror fiction. Basically, it's a type yeah. movie. And, and I agree, and it does a great job doing that. I think so, too, yeah. At the end of the short story, he does get out. Oh, okay. Uh, but he sleeps with his lights on, has removed all of his house's phones, and as always, draws the curtains before dark. He can't stand the shade of yellow-orange at sunset as it reminds him of the light inside room 1408. Okay. And he does get out by basically starting a fire. So this is kind of faithful. Not completely. I mean, a, a lot of other stuff happens in the book. I mean, that's cool, though. I like that they, they sort of stuck yeah, to what actually happened in the cool. short story, right? Yeah. I don't hate that. Mm -hmm. I don't hate it either. So, Paige, you have some fun facts for us? Yes. Well, hit us with your fun facts. Hotel mini bar, fun, fun facts. facts. Oh, yeah, mini bar. Uh, <laughs> I do want to highlight one of the dumbest fun facts I've seen listed in a long time. It's up there with the polyurethane the corn, corn for yeah. action scenes. <laughs> so maybe it's fake. I don't know. Uh, but one of the fun facts listed was uh, Mike, who's his character. Uh, Mike wears the same shoes throughout the movie no matter where he is. And I'm like, yeah, of course he does. He doesn't go anywhere. Like, he's... What? Yeah. Like, he's in the same clothes the whole time. What are we talking about? Like, what is this? I just thought that was really dumb. Yeah. I mean, unless... I, I could also see him taking off his shoes in a hotel room, because I would do that, right? But if, like, you're not turning in for the night, I could see why you'd still have all the same clothes on the entire time you're in this movie. I feel like he never really has a chance to take his shoes no, off. No, he doesn't. It happens And, and so they just stay. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, I read that and I was like, what? <laughs> like, Oh, by the way, if you look at the Better Off Dead facts on uh, IMDb, he also is wearing the same shoes that entire movie. This is just the same guy going to all of his movies <laughs> saying that John Cusack either did or didn't wear the same shoes the entire movie. High fidelity. He makes a list of the top five shoes that he's going to wear the whole time, but they're all the same shoes. <laughs> Wait, is this the same character from High Fidelity just as he got employed <gasps> by BuzzFeed for his listicle job? Oh my God, Todd. If this is a shared universe with High Fidelity, I'm here for it. I'm saying it is. Yeah. I'm saying it is. I love it. That guy also obsessed with lists. What I would have needed was Jack Black as one of the porters being yes. like, I'm walking on sunshine. Wow. <laughs> it would have been great. Absolutely. I love it. Anyway, in the movie, he says into his recorder, hotel rooms are just naturally creepy places, don't you think? I mean, how many people have slept in that bed before you? How many of them were sick? How many of them were losing their minds? Stephen King actually wrote this in his explanatory note of 1408 in the compilation book of short stories. Really? So that's a direct quote. Okay. Yeah. While addressing the audience at his book signing, he says, stay scared. This is actually a reference to George Romero, 
who is a close friend of Stephen King's. Oh. And Romero would say this at conventions and would use it as part of his signature, oh, okay. which I think is actually pretty great. That is great. In the standard edition, the DVD runtime is exactly 104 minutes and eight seconds. What? Uh, wow. Uh, but that also makes the DVD stop playing at precisely one hour, 44 minutes and eight seconds. Okay. Yeah. While staying in the room in 1408, he goes through denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Yeah. In that order. So that's kind of, if you want to try and track the metaphor through the movie, that's what it is. At one point, he's wearing a hat that says paranoia is total awareness. That's actually a nod to one of Stephen King's favorite quotes, perfect paranoia is perfect awareness. But as the paranoia in this movie is imperfect, that's why they changed the quote. Okay. As I mentioned earlier, this story is based on a number of famous hotels, uh, namely the Cecil, the Battery Carriage House in South Carolina, Myrtle, Myrtle's Plantation in Louisiana, and the Hotel Del Coronado. It's also based on a parapsychologist Christopher Chacon's investigation of the haunted hotel rooms in the world. So there's a guy that's actually like John Cusack who did this. Um, and so it's kind of based on some of his writings. Okay, cool. One of the first victims in the room is named Grady. That's a reference to the character in The Shining. I thought it might be, yeah. Yeah. Due to alleged paranormal activity, the Emily Morgan Hotel in San Antonio, Texas, has sealed their room 1408. Ooh. That happened before the movie and before the story. I suspect... That's where Stephen King took the number from, yeah. um, potentially. Well, and also it does add up to 13, so it's kind of cool that way. But I mean, I right. guess you could use other numbers to add up to 13, too. So Yeah. So as he's walking through 1408, reading through all of the crime scene stuff, he does come across that quote that says, my brother was eaten by wolves on the Connecticut Turnpike. This is a reference to the short story. Uh, Mike Enslin loses his mind in the room. That's one of the last intelligible things he says to his tape recorder, but we find out in the book that his, or in the story, his brother actually died of lung cancer. So it's not true. It's just said. Okay. Mary McCormick, who plays his wife, was pregnant throughout filming. So almost all the shots of her are filmed above the waist. Really? Okay. So if you wondered why you only ever saw her from shoulders up, that's why. Yeah. Huh. I mean, it sort of works because it is like a very early kind of Skype FaceTime sort of call. Yeah. Which you would yeah, normally yeah, yeah. only see them. Like, you're on a Zoom but call But even in, in the hospital or yeah. when he's at the restaurant with her, like everywhere, it's shoulders up. Yeah. Let's talk about that law forcing hotels to accept any guest. Uh, so they can't request any room they want as portrayed in the film. However, uh, well, and the hotel owner has the right to refuse or expel people that they deem objectionable, but it has to be for a legal reason. And it can't be, I'd imagine, for a protected reason, like exactly. by race or sex or gender right. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And there have been a number of cases around this. Langford versus Vandeveer, Pettit versus Thomas, uh, Moody versus Kenny, Morningstar versus the Lafayette Hotel Co. Uh, so if this was a real life scenario, one of the only ways he could be rejected or removed from the property is if he had no intention of being a guest and if he were being a nuisance and damaging property. Or okay. if he refused to pay for the room or if he were suspected to be a risk to the hotel's business or guests in a hazardous, dangerous way, as described in State versus Steel 1890. Um, so if room 1408 was deemed unsafe, he would not be able to stay there. Um, but claiming that a room is haunted does not count. Um, nor does being earlier deaths or crimes in the room as hotels often have deaths or crimes. Sure. Yeah. 
it, they would have to prove that it is actively dangerous to be there. Okay. So there you go. There's a ton of references to the number 13 throughout the movie. This is also probably a reference to uh, the Winchester Mystery House, which Stephen King has written about in Rose Red. Uh, but the Winchester Mystery House built by Sarah Winchester also has a number of features that add up to 13. She was very superstitious. Um, so in this movie, the room number is 1408. The room's on the 14th floor, but it is actually the 13th floor. Right. Um, the room's key lock has a 6214 etched into it, which adds up to 13 as well. First death was in 1912, which again adds up to 13. Also, if you add 19 and 12 together, you get 31, which when reversed is 13, so extra. Uh, the month and the year of the movie's release date, June 2007, comes out to 13. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the date the film was released in uh, the United States was June 22nd, 2007. So if you do it with the actual date, it doesn't work. It's just the month and the year. Yeah. Uh, but also the address of the hotel Adds up to 13 as well. Okay. Keanu Reeves was attached to play the lead in this movie, but pulled out before production started. I mean, that would have been a different movie, but I bet he could have done it pretty well. Yeah, I would watch yeah. that. Yeah. The melting telephone used in the scene where he's attempting to persuade the room to leave his wife alone uh, was saved as a prop under the title 1408 original screen use SFX blue screen phone and handset. Because the way that they did this was by filming the components of the telephone with special blue markers attached so that they would then blue screen in yeah. the melting portions. Interesting. So it was done by computer. It's done by computer. It's done okay. by CGI, but it looks very real. It does. It's very cool. Yeah. I think they could have saved a lot of money. And just use butter? Yeah. Chocolate? Yeah. I, I, My first thought was chocolate. I thought for sure it was chocolate. It does break away just like those chocolate desserts. Yeah, it does. In the film, Katie, his daughter, asks her mother, why is the Bible purple? Fun fact, purple is the most common color for Bibles, uh, specifically children's Bibles, especially, and the English Standard Version Bible, which has been in print for years and almost always is in print in purple. It's one of the best sellers. Hmm. And when you research it, people say that there's no specific reason why this color was chosen for children's Bibles. However, uh, as a kid growing up in the church, I was always told it was because purple was the color of royalty and Jesus is the king of kings. That's what I always heard as well. Yeah, that was the reason I was always given. That's why Bibles are purple. The axe that the fireman uses to break down the door at the end of the movie is the same axe that Jack Nicholson used in The Shining. Wait, oh, uh, the wow. exact same axe? Yes, both of the movies were shot at the same studio in london awesome and those are your fun facts well think of those fun facts page let's talk some box office so what do you think the production budget for 1408 was in 2007 Ooh, pretty good i'm gonna say 30 million okay yeah i think i'm gonna say 45 because you have john cusack okay the production budget was 22.5 million dollars it looks good for 22 it does and it's not a single location movie really i mean it, it most of it takes place in that room but there are other locations if you adjust for inflation that's around 31.7 million dollars today so not a huge difference um as page said it did come out in june of 2007 specifically june 22nd 2007 and it was number two in the box office the week it came out it was beat by another movie that also premiered that week evan almighty um and of oh, course yeah. it was number two number three was fantastic Four: rise of the silver surfer yeah. number four was oceans 13 and number five was knocked uh. up so what do you guys think it made in its opening weekend the weekend of june 22nd 2007 i remember 
this being pretty popular at the time, yeah. so I'm going to say eight million. Okay, I'm going to go a little higher. I'm going to go say fifteen. All right, it actually made twenty point six million dollars in its them. opening weekend. Yeah, it did really well. I mean, it was number two. Um, the next weekend, it made ten point six million dollars. So it had a pretty good run. It was in theaters for a total of sixteen weeks. But what do you think it brought in for its total domestic run in those sixteen weeks? I'm going to say sixty-five. Okay, I'm going to go higher. Okay. I'm going to say 92. All right. You're sort of on either side of it. It was $71.9 million, honestly, very, very close to $72 million. It then also made $59.2 million internationally for a total of $131.2 million. Now, it also brought in an extra $50.8 million in domestic DVD and Blu-ray sales. So this movie made a lot of money on that $22.5 million budget. Cool. But that is your box office. Mike, you want to hit him with that scary scale? Yeah, our scary scale is scale 1 to 10 of how scary we found the film we watched at this time. Our one example is Ghostbusters. Our 10 example is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Paige? Uh, this is a 2 for me. Todd? I'm going to give it a 4. Cool. Yeah, I'm going to give it a 1. Is it because you've seen That's it before? Fair. Like when you first saw it in theaters, what what do you think it would be? Probably like a three if I, okay. when I first saw it in theaters. Okay, yeah. that's fair. So this week, you guys made me watch 1408. What are we watching for next week? It's a listener request. Oh, that's right. And this listener request, obviously we were sticking with the theme of haunted house movies and the final four that the vote came down to was The Orphanage, The Haunting, Crimson Peak. Again, we've seen Crimson Peak a bunch in the listener request. Still hasn't won. And then Beetlejuice and Beetlejuice barely eked out a win over Crimson Peak. Uh, it was 128 votes to 110. Crimson Peak about 18 votes behind. It was so close. But next week we will be doing Beetlejuice, which is a movie I've seen and love. So your homework for next week is to watch the man who I think is the best Spider-Man villain to have ever appeared in any Spider-Man ever, but watch him act his ass off as Beetlejuice and enjoy it and then come back for the episode. So, Mikey, do you have a review for us to read? Yes, of nice. course I do. It's not like I'm looking it up right now. Well, and of course, you always remember that we do reviews at the end of every episode. So, of course, you're already looking at it. Whose review are you going to read this week? I'm going to read Captain Alexis. All right. Well, what does Captain Alexis have to say? They say no notes, five stars. Okay. That's the title. Okay, they nice. Have notes because they wrote stuff out. Oh, well, okay. Uh, no notes, no cuts. I found <laughs> this podcast and Romance in the Pod about nine months ago. If you are pregnant with a podcast, baby, it is not <laughs> ours. But Mikey will take it. Yeah. But I've binged every episode since, some multiple times. Hi, Conjuring 2 and the Blair Witch Project. Those are pretty funny episodes. <laughs> they are pretty funny episodes, yeah. The chemistry of the thruple is amazing, and there's a great balance of unmatched humor, thoughtful analyzing of the movies, and interesting snippets of knowledge and personal stories that Mikey, Page, and Todd bring to the table each week, 10 out of 10. Well, thank you so much, Captain Alexis, for that amazing five-star review. And if you want to have Mikey read your review, give us a five-star review. Page, I think your first episode was the Conjuring 2 episode, wasn't it? It was, yes. And the Blair Witch Project was the one where Mikey sort of interviewed the girl I went on the quote-unquote date with. There's no sort of. I did it. I, I talked to her. If I said interviewed, they would assume that you actually had her on the podcast. Right. But no, you just like messaged her back and forth and give us yes. sort of what she said. Yeah. 
So, guys, if you like this show but want to hear this power thruple on another movie review show about romance and romantic comedies, check out Romancing the Pod, where Mikey, Paige, and I break down and make fun of romantic movies. It's a lot of fun, guys. Check it out. If you want to follow us on social, please do. We are at Horror Virgin or online at HorrorVirgin.com. If you want to follow us all individually, you can do that as well. Paige is at Paige Wesley on Twitter or Rampage Wesley everywhere else, including TikTok. Mikey is at M Randolph 24 and I am at Todd J Awesome. If you like the show so much and you want to help financially support it, please do by going to patreon.com slash horror virgin where you can get a lot of great levels and a lot of great stuff like bonus episodes, director's cut episodes where they're a little bit longer and you get them actually a day earlier mm-hmm, than the mm-hmm. regular feed drop. We do a lot of great things like listener requests and stuff like that. So guys, check out yeah. the Patreon and help support the show. If you want to financially support me but not Todd, just look me up on Venmo. If you can't financially support the show, that's understandable, that's fine, but if you want to hang out with us on the daily, join the Facebook group uh, at facebook.com slash group slash virgin. We also link it like once a week, so just find it there and join the awesome Facebook group. Literally, we're in there talking every day. It's awesome. And guys, we got a P.O. box, so if you want to send us some love letters or whatever you might send to a P.O. box, it's actually not a P.O. box. It's like a regular street address. It's pretty awesome. It's 6688 Nolensville Road, number 108-34, Brentwood, Tennessee, 37027. So send us some stuff. Yeah. And if you want to check out our Twitch stream, we're at twitch.tv slash Todd Awesome, where we will be playing horror video games. So if you have always wondered what it would be like to watch me get scared, you can now do that on Twitch while I play these horror games. It's twitch.tv slash Todd Awesome, guys. Check it out. It's a lot of fun for you. Not a lot of fun for me. So this episode brought to you by Tia, and Tia's teenager is driving us crazy. How is Tia's teenager driving her crazy this week? She keeps adjusting the thermostat to 80 degrees because she is secretly a lizard. (laughs) Can't live like that. There's just too much going on. You cannot do that. This episode also brought to you by the number Jeff, and Jeff wants you to check out his podcast, Kissing Jessica Jones, where each week they break down an episode of the Jessica Jones Agent Carter or WandaVision TV series. So if you want to break down podcasts for any of those three Marvel shows, check out Kissing Jessica Jones. This episode also brought to you by Jonathan and Jonathan wants you guys to watch some spooky spider videos. So let me share my screen with you real quick and then show you this spooky spider video. He also does say thanks for all you three do, but he also wants us to watch this. Oh, it's a TikTok this time. Oh, oh no. Oh, I don't like this already. Oh, he's like picking up a spider off the wall with his hands, and that spider's huge. Uh, uh, Ah! uh, It's insane that he is like being gentle enough not to squish it. I would be jerking around so much, I'd probably end up killing the spider by mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I would not not be touching a spider with my bare hands. Absolutely not. Jonathan, I'm very glad that you can, though, and thank you so much for the support. We now return you to another episode of uh, The the Patreonicals. Okay. Welcome back to Patreonicals. We're going to make this quick because we've been here for 17 hours in this room. (laughs) (laughs) There's no getting out, Mikey. Uh, When you last met us... Okay, everybody's back to the surface now. I'm fucking done with the underwater, and we're trying to rebuild the month. So they're leaving Atlantis. I just said that. Yeah. Save your questions to the end of the episode. (laughs) Okay, so Dreskel says we need to rebuild the month. The Illuminati is invested in rebuilding the month. Okay. And um, everybody had a big orgy a couple episodes ago. Um, Yeah. It happened. Bend. Uh, Bo Easy, the Florida man, was like, Look, man, I got some month stuff. We could just like glue it back together. And everybody's like, Shut up, dude. You can't glue the moon back together, bro. Yeah. 
You could if it was made of cheese. Million dollar business idea. Again, with the cheeses of Nazareth. There's no not winning with that business model. Yeah. Unfortunately, the moon is made of butter. I knew it. I thought it was chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so on the surface, first off, Amber and Allie, they're like, okay, we want to stick with y'all or whatever because we're best friends with Aaron and Danielle because they're moon people and the mermaid and the mun are allied and, and... we left her people down in Atlantis while we allied, we not allied. Page allied, allied. Anyway, they uh, <laughs> they do some magic and they get legs. Did they trade their voices for them? No, it's more of a mermaid, the movie type deal. Where they trade their voices to get legs? <laughs> not the Little Mermaid. Splash, splash is what we're doing here. Where so she learns how to speak English from commercials? Yeah, yes, that checks out. Okay, and if they get wet, they're their fins show or whatever. Okay, that's what they did. Kate and Dreskel have a an alliance to rebuild the Mun, uh, and Dreskel says, "Hey, my supervillain here, Jeremy, he has laser eyes that can weld some moon parts back together, uh, but we have a long process. The uh, the Mun is all over the place. Uh, Amy, we're gonna need you to run a giant spacecraft to help us collect some parts out in there. Uh, Karun and Dave and Isaac." We need you to go talk to Cody, and he owns the biggest pawn shop in the world, and he has pieces of the mun over there. So you have to go to Cody's pawn shop and rough him up. Come on down to Cody's pawn shop, but we have pieces of the mun. Right. And Karun gets so angry because he's just so angry that he punches Dave. Dave's spleen ruptures, and he bleeds out and dies <laughs> very quickly. That was such a specific injury. Like, yeah. Well, and then the pawn shop people came out and they were like, how much you want for this spleen? I can only offer you $6. (laughs) (laughs) They have a medical expert come in and say, you know, when the spleen's outside the body, it doesn't really do anything anymore. It's not worth much. (laughs) Do you have a certificate for this spleen? (laughs) (laughs) Isaac holds Dave and then eats his body and (laughs) everybody seems weirded out. It's fine. Uh, Scott and his Voldemort-like Wes on his shoulder uh, and their new girlfriends, Amber and Allie. Remember, they're also pregnant. Uh, He's like, we're glad you got legs. Uh, We need to get Wes a real body. And they're like, we'll help you with that since you are pregnant with our dozens of children inside of you all. And so they're on. But we also want to rebuild the month. So that's good. Shining Donut and Kaylee and Jennifer have now entered a thruple. Oh, nice. Yeah, because one, Jennifer the PH and Shining Donut are like really invested. And then uh, Kaylee is sad still. She's a little down. And so she really likes donuts. So he now has the ability to make donuts and he keeps giving her donuts. So Shining Donut Donut not only is a donut, but can make donuts. And so he is doing that and giving donuts to people. Yeah. And uh, Libby's like, I've got the plans for how to make the Mun better. Jeremy's going to be in there. We got the giant spaceship. We've got, we've just, oh, we got to split up and get the moon parts and put it back together. And so that's what they're going to work on next week. So I guess we have to wait till next week to, to find out if they do reassemble the Mun on another episode of uh, the, the Patreonicals. That's going to be it for us, you guys. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your horror virgin, Todd. Keep it oogie spooky. Yeah. Have a great week. Bye, Mun Rebuilding Nerds.